You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 477. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 3L at the Holiday Inn in Charlotte, North Carolina. Today's show is recorded on the 16th of June, 2021. Today's episode, there's a report on an American Airlines flight which went off the runway last year in Freeport. An aviation geek misses flying so much, he makes his own airline-style food. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, Sweet Retirement. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 477 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning Emmy, Emmy Award-winning <laughs> TV and radio reporter. Clearly, I'm not. Uh, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 wins in New York City. All right, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining us today... From a hotel room in Charlotte in North World. No, that's the one. Doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, street training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Good to be here with you. Yeah. Very nice to see you in person again. Feels like it's been a while, but it hasn't. No, I mean, it feels kind of... Yeah. All right. We'll talk about that in the getting to know us segment. All right. What a tease, huh? All right. And joining us from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. One of those places. He is a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain. Retard. For Virgin, Virgin Atlantic Airlines. <laughs> it's Captain Nick. I need to practice. You don't. You, you get it perfect every time. Uh, I'm feeling really left out now because I'm here all on my own in my little Aww. studio halfway around the world. You two are going to be having such fun. I'm very jealous. I brought plenty of beer, so it's going to be a good show. Oh, boy. I guess I yeah, better. And here I'm drinking alone. Oh, oh you're so not drinking sad. alone. You are here with us, even if you're, you know, like four thousand miles away. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I'm trying to work out the. Uh, I don't think Einstein would have agreed with what you just said, but there you go. Didn't you say something about time and space being relative? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. But sure. you guys are relatives. all relatives. Oh God, you're <laughs> all relatives. We're all relatives, let's say says yes we are all part of this big happy apg family incestuous incestuous family, family. Oh. okay uh let's go on with the news so, so nice. i can drink some of this beer 
stand by for news. All right. Let's start off with uh, this from, where is this from? Oh, Aviation Herald. Simon Radke's wonderful aviation news site. An Envoy Embraer ERJ-145 registration November 674 Romeo Juliet performing flight 4194 from Miami to Freeport, Bahamas with 25 passengers and three crew landed on Freeport's runway 6 at 1156 local time, but veered right off the runway and came to a stop on soft ground with both main gear struts collapsed after completing a near 180 degrees turn, which is not really right, uh, heading against landing direction. Two passengers received minor injuries. Bahamas AAIA have opened an investigation preliminary information. This is after it happened, actually. When was this? This was October 24th, 2020. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And uh, so it looks like now they have a preliminary report, the AAIA. According to the crew's statement uh, post-accident, the flight was uneventful up until the point just after landing. You look very uncomfortable holding it like that. I'm going to figure out something different to do with okay. this in a minute. <laughs> just... Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I will not fix this in post. Uh, the crew... Re- what, what are you doing? Okay. <laughs> ah, okay. A little brief timeout. It's okay. Oh, keep going? Okay. Here we go. Uh, the crew reported that the approach was stable. Contact was made with runway, and immediately after touchdown, they both experienced a sudden breaking of the aircraft, although no control inputs were being made. Subsequently, there was a rapid uh, deceleration of the aircraft, followed by a skidding action. The pilot in command, who was the pilot flying on this leg of the flight, was unsuccessful in his attempts to stabilize and control the aircraft as it continued down the runway, eventually veering off the center line and coming to a stop off the right runway shoulder. During the excursion sequence, both main gear uh, collapsed. The tail section of the aircraft was the most exposed ooh, to the active runway as it came to rest approximately 15 feet from the runway's edge. And uh, let's see, I didn't get a picture of this, so I can probably share that. Here we go. Uh, just bear with me here. So, Nick, what do you think about this? Uh, I really don't know. Um, parking brake. I don't Ooh, know. It, it, yeah. I, I'm looking at the the uh, the black marks the tires have left, mm-hmm. which go from the threshold right the way down the runway. By that time, of course, if you know, leaving that amount of rubber indicates to me that uh, the wheels are barely turning; they're just skidding. Uh, it looks like. Um, you know, one might have burst, and they uh, they took them off the runway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is quite possible there was a brake malfunction, anti-skid malfunction. Um, lots of things could have gone wrong, but uh, you know, uh, naturally, I always, if it had happened to me, I would have gone, "God, what did I do wrong?" About the only mm-hmm. thing I can think of that you could do wrong would be to land with the parking brake on. Mm. Luckily, my airplane used to have a warning if you try, try to do that. Yeah. Thanks, Airbus. Uh, because, you know, when you're sitting there in the cruise, it was just one of those lovely things to sit and play with. Um, the parking brake. What's this because, doing? You know, you're, <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly people right. play with their emergency brake button in their car. And it's just like click, 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 click. Or people that play with their That's brake right. magic button in a Formula One car. There you go. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> That just happened in the last race. So, uh, Hamilton. Uh, 
lost the race. Is Austin a is Austin a, one of the a pilot that flies those? Because that's that's what he thinks. I don't there know. Austin, we, um, we don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he flies the one forty. Uh, you know what? Again, we should have had Captain Al on because I think he has some experience with the uh, this airplane, the Embraer one forty five. I think he hmm. flew that a little bit um, in his long history of airplane flying. Yeah. But uh, whatever happened, it had sad consequences for the aircraft. And, of course, the crowd, I'm glad no one was injured, uh, quite honestly. Uh, it, it's not that a dramatic departure. It didn't, like, hit a brick wall and break open or anything. So it's just uh, badly damaged. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very badly. And that's the preliminary report. So hopefully they'll um, have more information on subsequent reports or the final report. Um, they said a landing gear malfunction. So hmm. Hmm. that could well, be a lot of things. Really give us a yeah, yeah, quite agree. It doesn't really he give says much Austin flies gray military planes. Ah, something like gray that. Military. I can't see his entire comment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Let me see what he said. Um, yeah. It, it could it could well have been an anti skid uh, fault, but having said that, normally in civil aircraft uh, there are enough sensors, uh, system sensors, to give you a warning if uh, the anti skid was doing this, and normally it fails safe, so the anti skid would cut itself off. But I don't know how sophisticated the Embraer is. I don't know either. Well, hopefully we'll find out when they. Issue their yeah. next report. Don't know much about the aircraft, so I can't really make a better guess. Don't know much about ERJ. <laughs> okay. Oh, but you stopped quick, though, didn't it? it? It was a quick stop, yes. Yes. Yeah. It was probably fun, too. You know. Well, I, yeah. I dramatic so. deceleration sure. and then some spinning it. motion. That'd yeah. Be, yeah. Like a little roller yeah. coaster ride. Yeah. And for all included in the price. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Bahamas. Welcome to the Bahamas. <laughs> That's what Liz said. What do you think of us now? All right, let's continue this. Uh, D. Disruptive passenger diverts Delta flight to Detroit, officials say. An unruly passenger forced a Delta flight to divert to Detroit Metro Airport on Thursday night, representative said. A customer on flight 1131, by the way, you should be thinking about the uh, the, the music, uh, Bad Boys. Mm-hmm. I can't really play it anymore because Google doesn't like me to do that. So I'm not going to. Uh, let's see. From Los Angeles to New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport experienced an issue on board, an airline spokesperson said in a statement. The customer was met by law enforcement upon landing, and then the flight continued on safely to New York. We apologize to our customers for the inconvenience and delay Though the safety and well-being of our customers and crew is always Delta's top priority. And uh, so I have a little um, video. It'll be fun to play. Uh, let me share that with you. And we can see this this wonderful passenger that was taken off the airplane. Which one is it? That's, that one okay. should be. I thought I wasn't racing. Well, I thought I wasn't violating. Y'all still put me on the stretcher. Y'all saw me get physical with anybody on the flight. Was I physical with any of y'all? Let's go. Why the f got me recording, you ugly ass bitch? I had to, <laughs> I had to, I had to take out some, <laughs> some of the language there. I like the clapping afterwards. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah get, were, get out of here. She didn't, uh, what was she, uh, she was upset that somebody was taking video, video yeah. of her. Yeah. 
I mean, to be fair, if I was at that gate and they were taking someone like that off the plane, I would probably take video too. Yeah. And uh, share it with you all. And then sell an NFT. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that was um, really not much more information. It doesn't really say, I guess, apparently, according to her, she wasn't doing anything physical to anybody. But uh, She was being very disorderly, it yeah. sounds like. Unruly. Yeah. Um, and very disruptive, yes. Um, well, you know, we're not finished with, um, problems on, you know, I have to say that the passenger demographic has changed a bit. Has it? Yeah. Uh, we, we miss our, our business travelers, Mm. (laughs) not, not casting aspersions on people that aren't business travelers, but I'm just saying uh, the business travelers aren't the ones who are unruly and, uh, or maybe just a little rowdy, a little excited to be traveling someplace. Yes. Uh, the, actually, it turns out that the ones that are most unruly are are actually employees of the company. Oh, <laughs> yes, um, this is bad. Let's see. This next Uh-oh. one here. Uh, <laughs> Delta flight uh, headed from Los Angeles to Atlanta was forced to make an emergency landing in Oklahoma City after a passenger became unruly on Friday evening. A Delta spokesperson clarifies with CBS 46 News, that's an Atlanta affiliate of CBS, that the passenger was not trying to hijack the plane or open the door mid-flight. Rather, the altercation occurred in the front of the plane near the area of the cockpit. Um, Let's see. Thanks to the crew and passengers of Delta Flight 1730 LAX to Atlanta who assisted in detaining an an unruly passenger as the flight diverted to Oklahoma City. The aircraft landed without incident and the passenger was removed by law enforcement. We apologize to our customers for the delay and any additional inconvenience this caused. Uh, That seems like a very standard phrase, Delta. mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. yeah, Act, well, period, Acme sir. would have had a different one. Yeah, Acme would have been much more creative with mm-hmm. their right. social media uh, statements. I do have, uh, guess what? Uh, another little uh, piece of video here just to show Excellent. how um, nice and calm things were aboard this flight. And that is this one here. Okay, see, passenger. Here we go. Oops, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't get the exposure very very good here. Um, And there were some bad words said there. I apologize for that. I forgot to uh, clean this one up. Okay, so they they got the person uh, uh, subdued. Uh, and, uh, let's see, where is that right here? Let me take that away. Okay. We have some more information though. Uh, this passenger, um, was, uh, as a, was an off duty flight attendant, Delta employee flight attendant. And he made an announcement, picked up the, um, interphone, made an announcement that they needed to be close to the oxygen masks and proceeded to try to open the door. <laughs> now I'm thinking. You know, you'd think that a flight attendant would know. Would know that you can't open, can't open that the door. door in flight. Yeah. Apparently he was, he was absent that day in training, apparently. I think uh, he was absent from a lot of things yeah. in life. Perhaps he was intoxicated. Yeah, he might have been. And uh, they said that the thing that was really kind of concerning to a lot of these passengers was when 
uh, one of the flight attendants or perhaps one of the pilots uh, made a, a call over the PA saying that they needed to have all strong men come to the front of the uh, airplane to help restrain the passenger or the uh, flight attendant. Yeah. So a lot of people were relieved. I would That would not be the call that I would answer. I've answered several calls for help on air. Oh, you would <laughs> strong men. Yeah, <laughs> no, not me. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't know. I'd probably do something dumb and get up and actually, try and go help. It, it's such a change, isn't it, to uh, the way we deal with these things that we now feel totally confident to call upon passengers to help mm-hmm. subdue uh, a troublesome uh, passenger. That would never have happened before nine eleven. That, mm-hmm. that changed everything mm-hmm. in the airline industry. You're right, and the way we deal with. Um, People uh, that may want to commandeer an airplane is is completely different now. Absolutely, yeah. yeah well, and it's, it's so. amazing to me. We keep having these stories of uh, passengers behaving poorly, which seems to be uh, they just seem to be. I don't know, maybe more frequent these days. Mm-hmm. Um, something must be well, happening huge, that's related uh, to this. Yeah, but it's. I mean, it's enough that yeah. you know people who. I talk to in my day-to-day life who aren't really interested in anything flying related, airline related, have all, a lot of people have made comments about it. You know, they've been, I've talked to a few people about, you know, they're feeling, um, they've had their vaccine, so they're kind of wanting to get out and travel for the summer and go visit family and friends. And a lot of people are actually just thinking about driving because they don't trust the flying public. I've talked to a few people like that in the past two weeks. Yeah. I don't blame them. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't even want to go out there and fly. But I have to. That's the way I make my money. Yeah. I so. fly unruly passengers every weekend. I was weekend. just going to say no, that I, I think I think it's an indication of the stress people have been under mm-hmm. during the pandemic mm-hmm. uh, and uh, how how small the margin is now between normal behavior and completely losing control. Uh, it seems to be extremely small. Uh, and you add a few factors in, like nervousness on an airplane or are just being upset uh, by something that's happening around them, uh, the requirements uh, for wearing masks, etc. cetera. Uh, and people are just very close to flipping. And, and the, the fact that we're seeing so many of these, I think, is partly reflected on the, by the, the, the stressful situation we have in our general lives right now. That, not only that, but people have not been in contact with a lot of other live human beings i think mm. part of that is people have just forgotten what manners are and how Lost to be nice to civilization yeah, skills exactly yeah that's for sure but I, I like what you said there nick about you know you add on additional layers of stress on top of that stress and i think that has a lot to do with it yeah sad but true and hopefully things will kind of get back to normal again soon the sooner the better i say but we have some good news, though, regarding uh, people and flying and passengers missing that experience. Um, this is an odd one, actually, I think. I was going to say, is this actually good? I'm a little worried I about don't... these people, too. Well, we talk about, like... We'll see. Uh, okay. You know, it, yeah, I know what you mean. It's kind of odd. Um, so the quote of this uh, headline is, I miss airline meals so much. I make them at home. I think there is some kind of a psychological disorder. I think so. I think so. Has this person ever actually consumed airline meals? I think this person has because they have some pictures of these airline meals. Do and they then only how, fly first class? I maybe with like a well, Middle Eastern high end carrier. Well, here's oh no. Here's uh, a United Airlines chicken and waffles meal. Wait, United um, serves chicken and waffles? Well, at I some point they now. did. 
It doesn't look like, well, I don't know. That doesn't look like first class, though, does it? Not really. Well, I'm domestic flying in the United yeah. States, that's probably Could a first be. class Where's meal. Where's the bone China? Well, mm. we're talking about a U.S. airline. Here. Yeah. U.S. domestic flights oh. are domestic. not going to yeah. have all those frills. Look at yeah. um, I know. <laughs> I can just, I don't even want to see his face. He's I can't see his face right now, so it's probably. <laughs> okay, there is, there there's, is. there's his face. Oh, he's laughing now. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so this yeah, is his version right. of the. Uh, Where's the silver cutlery? Recreation. Well, of the, his you know, version you know. is way better looking than. Yeah, for sure. Okay, here's another one from Singapore Airlines. Uh, Hainanese, Hainanese chicken and Hainanese. rice. Hainanese. That's what Hainanese. I said. Hainanese. Hainanese. Um, and then his, his, his version. That looks pretty close. Yeah. I know that people are like going, well, why don't you show us these pictures? Well, I don't, I don't know. Let me just read this thing instead. Uh, this dude is, his name is Nick Sennhauser. Oh, he makes great headphones and microphones. Great. Yeah. Um, I, I love his mics. Uh, let's see. He travel misses air travel so much that he recreates in-flight meals. He once enjoyed to remind him of good times before the pandemic. Uh, he lives in Glasgow, Glasgow, uh, would spend much of his free time looking for flight deals. He loved the airports and airlines experience so much. He thought nothing of flying to the U.S. for a weekend trip. Yeah, he's crazy. I can. Oh, that sounds I can, like. Her. I can relate to that, actually. Yeah. No, she's kind of crazy, too. A little crazy. Uh, I once got a flight from Edinburgh to Boston for 150 pounds return. He told BBC Radio Scotland's Our Lives with Michelle McCannis. Bragging. McManus. Bragging. Braggart, Liz says, I took the Friday. You're just jealous. I took the Friday off and on the Thursday after work, got on a plane and flew there, had some lobster rolls and dipped my feet in the sea and then got back on a plane. Okay. I take back what I said about this guy. He's totally normal. <laughs> that is a completely reasonable thing to do. And I don't know why anyone would judge anyone who does something yeah, like that. Yeah, but are you doing the meal thing though? No. Okay. I don't miss airline food. No. Not, not many do. Uh, let's see. Uh, some people are, were willing to spend the same amount of money just going to the pub. Well, that's true. Aviation was always part of my life before the pandemic. He added one of the things he missed most about international travel are the in-flight meals. He was served. I grew up between Thailand and Austria. So I spent a lot of my childhood on planes and in airports. My dad was working in Thailand for a multinational and went, uh, when, and we went to school in Austria. So every holiday, even if it was just for a weekend, we would fly to Bangkok to see dad. Sounds like he was flying first class there. The plane, yeah. Liz is saying that it sounds like he was flying first class. The, I will say those meals are generally good, especially yeah. international. I'll bet. Mm -hmm. The plane was the one place I would eat food without questioning it. At home, my mom had Steak. to force me to eat vegetables and other foods. Anyway, there's more to it. Um, uh, if you want to read the entire article, Just a little human interest story. There. Yeah, human interest story. Very nice. Thank you, Liz, for throwing that in there. I mean, they're not bad recreations. If if mm -hmm. if you enjoy uh, reliving a wonderful flying experience in cabin and eating those, uh, but I have to say that uh, uh, all my travel experiences on my old airline um when i got to do an upper class trip and uh, sat down and had a full meal and even when i was operating if uh, i had a crew rest period i and there was a free upper class seat i would go back and have my meal in upper class and i have to say i always enjoyed the experience great there's some great food on the airplane so 
I agree. I, I I've, had, I've had very good meals on airplanes. I've also had some very terrible meals on airplanes, including one recently on an airline we shall not name where I had moldy fruit. <gasps> oh, no. Served to me in Mind you, first of course, class. Like, you, let's you, put you, that in quotations. But, uh oh. Yes. You, you do feel a bit sorry because, uh, you know, they, they are relying on their kitchen providers, which are often subcontracted. Oh, yeah. And, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't their fault. Um, no. Did they charge I, extra for the I feel sorry for the crew with that. Yeah, yeah. All they can well, do the, is Yeah, just the good news rubble. is the penicillin cured my um, <laughs> insert. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say that, Liz, but I'm not going to. Insert yeah. disease that can be cured by penicillin. Oh. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Ear infection. Okay, fair mm -hmm. enough. <laughs> yes. Otitis media. Okay. Just going to move over here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That is the last item, thank goodness, you're all saying, in our new segment. By the way, I don't think I've mentioned this since we uh, started the recording, but uh, you have not. Uh, no. Miami Rick was not able to join us today. However, the next best thing, uh, Miami Rick and I yesterday were able to record a segment, which we'll be playing toward the end of the show, the last hour. So stay tuned. And me. And you, of course, Liz. I mean, we couldn't have done it without you behind the scenes telling us what to do and what to say right behind the scenes or did you actually get her to participate no, live she, no she still refuses nah, to Liz, 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 Liz. yeah yeah no. uh, well we're still working on okay. her though we'll, one we'll of these her. days it's time for okay. it's time getting for getting to know. to know us so here we go let me find that and hit this button right here and now steph will sing Nope. Mm -hmm. This is not part of your new album, Steph. <laughs> I overlooked this particular she's, tune. She's contractually barred from singing on the podcast. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, she's the king will be barred. very upset. <laughs> so this is the segment, if you're new to the show, where we kind of catch up with what everybody has been doing between episodes. And let's start off with Sir Nick Anderson. Uh, okay, not much from me. Um, but the first thing I have to do is to uh, big shout out and thanks to Jonathan Keeling, who sent in a bit of feedback, basically a link to a fabulous story. And um, if I had, I think if I hadn't just grabbed it and got, I love this story. I, I please, Jeff, can I uh, do it as a plant? Or we'd have covered it as feedback, or perhaps even as a news item. It could have been either. But uh, I thought it was just such a brilliant story, um, and I, it's, it is tonight's plant tale. So thank you very much indeed, uh, Jonathan Keeling, for um, giving me that uh, idea. So brilliant, um, loved it, and I really enjoyed uh, the little research I did to do it uh, to get tonight's plant tale, uh, which mainly come from uh, an interview done by the person uh, we're going to talk about. So uh, uh, it's more or less my interpretation of his interview his own in his own words uh during the last week what's happened well uh my life is uh full of my um one of my main hobbies in the summer which is uh, bowls and i've been playing lawn bowls almost every day uh, and uh, i continue to be inundated with matches because i'm in a a bunch of competitions um playing uh, at county level and if you keep winning then you keep playing 
uh, and I've only been knocked out of one out of about five competitions so far. So uh, doing Ooh. all right uh, in that field. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And yeah, very um, nice. progressing on. But it just means that I've, I have an awful lot of bowlers going on. Uh, I think it's going to get uh, considerably harder in the next few matches because the standard, as people get knocked out, the standard obviously gets uh, improved. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. And the one big event for me this uh, week, which was not uh, going down and uh, um, sorting out my wife's big butt, uh, it has... <laughs> Well, uh, uh, I I, I'm going to stop uh, there for just a moment. Um, <laughs> HR is going to need some clarification on that statement. Yeah, okay. Well, we have a, a big butt at the front of the house, big water butt. And um, Can you explain you, you guys... this for people who are not from your part of the world and have no uh, okay, idea well, what you're talking uh, about? A water butt is a water container that you connect to uh, the downpipe from your ah. gutters. Oh. Your, you would just uh, call it a rain barrel. It's a rain, it's a rain barrel. Rain barrel. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a butt. Water butt. B-U-double-T. No. no. Butt. Okay. No. Yes. If you say so. <laughs> Not here. If you say that yeah. to someone here, they're going to be very confused. I'm already thinking of show title. Yeah. Jenny, uh, Jilly's well, butt. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, Jilly would kill Jilly's big butt. water butt. <laughs> anyway, uh, our old big water butt out the front, um, mm -hmm. the plastic got eventually uh, you know, brittle and mm. cracked. So we were we sorted out a new big water butt. My wife's butt and uh, I couldn't quite fit it this afternoon because I ran out of time. Because we had a visit from a, a dear old friend who I have mentioned many times. He's been on the show. We Jeff and I have stayed at his house. Uh, a Captain Nige, who happened to be on his Harley Davidson in the area, having uh, gone out with his Around wild gang. Um, I don't know. What do you call those? Those biker gangs. He's biker one of gangs. Those, biker gangs. With, That's what you call them. Biker <laughs> yeah, gangs. Okay, right. Well, he uh, he pilot. left his short-off shotgun on the bike, which was nice of him, and came in with his leathers and uh, kicked the dog a few times. So uh, that was uh, mm -hmm. that was great to see, Nigel. Um, we actually uh, did a really good uh, thing. We sat out in the garden in the fresh air because it was a lovely day, and uh, we had. Uh, bruschetta uh, that Julie made and uh, I knocked up a, uh, a chart uh, oh, I can never pronounce it properly chart, uh, charcuterie. charcuterie 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 that was it that's the word it's the ending I can never get right of uh, you know mixed meats and cheeses and uh, olives and sun-dried tomatoes and all that kind of nice stuff and we sat out in the garden and uh, chatted as you do so um yeah that was very pleasant and uh, in return nigel in the uh, panniers of his holly davison uh, bought down six uh, flagship oh. beers Ooh. from um, the Hook Norton Brewery. So much appreciated, Nigel. Thank you very much indeed for that. Um, and we chatted about getting together with uh, another old uh, Air Force mate. Uh, we're going to spend a weekend up at his place, uh, and that'll be a lovely There won't be any drinking that to weekend. Get <laughs> so really, that's been my week. Uh, been very pleasant. The weather here's been Fabulous, as you perhaps can tell by my red rosy nose. Uh, my um, y'all don't cheeks, tan uh, over there. You just turn various shades of red and pink. 
when the yeah, sun comes out. Exactly. I've noticed this. Enhanced oh. by the wonderful lighting that I have around mm -hmm. me. It's very nice. Um, but uh, for the next few days, we're getting right. some welcome showers. So uh, hopefully uh, the garden will continue to look fabulous. Julie has done such a lovely job with the garden this year. The lawn is superb. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be good. And, um, you know, looking forward to more bowling and more retirement fun next week. We can't wait yeah. to hear about it. It's riveting. Yes. <laughs> no, truly, I enjoy the story. She no. said with feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what's wrong with me today. You're just going to have to ignore all of the wrong. It seemed pretty much normal to me. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, look forward to hearing uh, your success in all these championships. I'm sure you'll make it to the end and be uh, well, victorious. Well, if I that would be so nice. Yeah. Although, selfishly, I'm thinking, I hope you get knocked, knocked out. out. like tomorrow. Yeah, so that you can, you know, not have any conflicts with this, this thing, this APG thing. <laughs> Just saying. But, anywho. Um, so, let me tell you about uh, what I've been up to. I forgot to tell... You all last time that I was uh, interviewed for a podcast called the Pilot Network. Uh, it's actually more than just a podcast, but they have a podcast as part of their whole platform. Uh, the Pilot Network is uh, an organization to help out people who are wanting to get into this job field and fly airplanes for a living. And they have seminars and all kinds of education and good stuff. Uh, they have a YouTube channel and a podcast. Um, uh, part of their, uh, not podcast channel, but a, a podcast. And, um, uh, uh, I was invited on to uh, do that and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It's episode 74. Um, very cleverly called Jeff Nielsen, the airline pilot guy. How did they come wow. up with that? Title? I don't know, but it's that? a good one. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they don't have fancy cover art like, oh, you know what we should do? I think this is something we should do on every show. Let's talk about the artwork, the, the cover one. artwork for last previous show, the previous show. Yeah, because if you're not if you're not accessing the show in a way that you can actually see the cover art or if you're just kind of skimming past it and not looking, you really should. Nick puts a lot of time and effort into taking our ideas and suggestions for the show title and turning it into a work of art for the show. Mm -hmm. um, and our last well, trick. episode, guys, so yeah. it's, it's a labor of love. I enjoyed being it. So what was fun about last week? I mean, they're all great. Uh, but last week, and we try to come up with a show title that is, uh, you know, not necessarily very clear, but if Super you, obvious. yeah, not obvious. Uh, but if you listen to the show, You'll understand. Yeah, it's supposed to get draw you into into the show, so you can say, "Well, what's this teaser. about? Why, like, why is this the cover art? Why is this the title?" Right. Um, and and so the artwork for the last episode, of the title was Captain Jeff's Flight Sim Reroute Edition, and it's just such a great piece of artwork. It looks like Microsoft's flights. Not well, not really. No. Yeah, a lot like not at all. Microsoft's Nothing. flight sim. Takes inspiration. Inspiration. <laughs> <Yes. by. laughs> but it's it so draws yes, on right. um, familiar themes <laughs> if you enjoy flight simming. And I love the uh, the flight path. You know, you see on Flight Radar twenty four or <laughs> Flight Aware or whatever, it uh, has this green line going all over, doing squigglies and everything else, which is very similar to my flight path going from Atlanta to um, to Dallas on one of those flights on my last uh, trip. 
anyway, uh, wonderful artwork. And uh, so thank you, Nick. And, and I don't notice everything right away. Sometimes I look back at it and kind of zoom in a little bit more. And I see a lot of details that I, I missed uh, at the first viewing. But uh, he, he manages to put all, in all kinds of little Easter eggs and this uh, artwork. So it's uh, definitely very he, he's such a creative guy, so thank you. Well, Nick, thank for, you for, for modeling doing so well. I couldn't do it. I've done it without you. <laughs> and he fixes Jilly's butt. And he fixes Jilly Jilly's butt. That's what uh, Liz just said to <laughs> <Yeah>. us. Okay. <laughs> so many talents. I sure hope that doesn't end up so in the show title. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> no, it won't. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post-show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. Um, oh, Ron Klimoff, uh, Klimoff, uh, K-L-I-M-O-F-F, um, sent this. And, you know, I think uh, the last show we were talking about that um, medical event and they were using HF radio for reasons that we couldn't figure out. And one of the things I suggested was maybe it was just uh, for, to save some money. Uh, and they were using HF instead of VHF. Well, Ron, uh, who is um, our favorite Spirit Airlines jump seater, he's uh, jump seated on a flight, I think it was Philadelphia to Atlanta um, a few months back uh, to go and pick up a pickup truck somewhere. Anyway, uh, he says, we use VHF primarily for air rink. I'm not sure why these guys went to HF. Spirit isn't that cheap. So I'm, I think I may have offended or we may have offended uh, by suggesting that they I were... think he's just trying to set a lot of people straight. Yeah. And I'm glad he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Ron, thank you for uh, sending that in. Um, maybe that's just a backup thing. And perhaps the VHF. Maybe it wasn't, wasn't working. working. They couldn't get yeah. through. Who knows? There could be a lot of reasons, I yeah. suppose. Or maybe. Press the wrong button. Yeah. Maybe they're just, I don't know, your typical smart pilots and. Cheap. Did the wrong thing. Oh, no. No. <laughs> Run. It's Nick. Nick is the problem here. Not, not us. Not the rest of us. Anyway, no. um, we we love Never. Spirit Airlines and uh, we love you. So um, I hope you will accept our apology. Um, let's see. Oh, so I this has been a great trip. The weather has been fantastic. Uh, no reroutes yet, and uh, this is day three of four, and I'll, I'm only supposed to do one flight back to Atlanta tomorrow morning. Uh, from That's a tough flight. It is tough. It's early, but it's it's doable. Anyway, um, so I was here on Monday uh, afternoon, and I got a chance to uh, spend some time with my favorite co-host. Sorry, Nick. Poor Steph. Uh, Dr. Steph. <laughs> and Rick, I suppose. Well, Sorry, Rick. Guys. Yeah. But she she's my favorite co-host too. Okay. Well, I, oh. I don't want to take offense to oh. that at all. Uh, she's so, she's just everyone's Every, I favorite. I love you guys. I, I love you guys. Um, so anyway, uh, we went to um, a local, uh, up, the hotels here in the downtown area, I guess. Uptown. Uptown. Oh, uptown. Uptown. We're, we're fancy here yeah. in the CLT. I see. Oh, in the CLT. Yeah. Well, we went to a place, like for a five, five church. church. Yeah. A very nice restaurant. Yeah. Although they, they need to up They their- need to work on their bar, um, yeah. everything, basically. So it wasn't just the beers that they wanted that they happened to be out of. We also drank, apparently, the very last of their sapphire. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it was, what was his name? Daryl? No, I forgot. Daryl, I can picture him. Oh, anyway, our there. waiter uh, came, uh, visited us uh, at our table many, many times. And every time it was like, um, 
I apologize. <laughs> he was apologizing. I, I felt bad for him. He kept having to come back to the table to give us bad news about the drinks that we were ordering. And we I saw more bad news. We weren't ordering anything like exotic or weird. Mm. It was on the Did menu. you get any free stuff? We did not get any no. free stuff. But we made up for the, the, so to be fair, before we went out to dinner, mm-hmm. I said, I've got two options that are nearby walking distance. Oh, I see what she's doing. Um, Go ahead. Blame it. It's blame, blame I'm, I'm deferring blame. Not to you. Just, I'm, I'm just going to say what I said. She, and cares, you can, she cares more about our waiter can, than she cares about me and my. No, parents. I don't care about the waiter. He was a nice guy. Whatever your name was. <laughs> you guy. Um, I heard she's the, dating uh, him now. Yeah. <laughs> Liz. I'm sorry. Liz keeps saying things to us that you'll just have to insert that one. Yeah. In there. Well, you'll hear it. If you're listening yeah. to the audio only podcast, you'll hear Liz's like really snarky yeah. comment anyway, commentary. Yeah. Go ahead. I did say before we left yeah. the hotel, I said there are two options that are nearby that I would recommend. Hmm. One is going to be the better food option. Mm-hmm. The other is going to be the better beverage option. And was I? No, you were right. Yeah. And I said, well, let's go with the food. I said, okay. Yeah. 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 So we went to, we went to the food option. The food was very good. Although the guy didn't know his oysters either. It was mm. also, he was new and a little bit of benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. We, we kind of thought we had the oyster thing figured out because it were we like, were wrong. yeah. Where, where were the ones uh, from? The Northern oysters from somewhere in New England were actually not very salty. And the ones from South Carolina were quite salty. And we had it backwards. We mm-hmm. thought the non-salty ones were the ones from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it turns out that uh, they weren't. Not correct. But we ate a lot of oysters. Uh, we did eat a couple a lot of, dozen oysters. Like three dozen oysters. Yeah, three. Okay, I, think. Yeah, I guess we did. Yeah. Anywho, well, we had to test our theory out, and then we were wrong. So then we had to go back and get the ones that we actually wanted. That's true. That's how that works. Yeah. Um, but then we made up for it because we did go to the other restaurant just for beverages, and mm-hmm. they were very cool. Game. It's like a cellar downstairs, like, like a, a speakeasy. Yeah, speakeasy, like a. Mm-hmm. Whatever I think it's one. the salty semen that uh, account for the <laughs> taste in the uh, oysters. Uh-huh. It's time for you to play. I, I know. Semen. No, I, I prefer oh. semen because if you get a <laughs> if you get a semen who's not who's not picking the right oysters, you could end up with salty ones. Oh uh, yeah, I know uh, because we know that you. No, I, I prefer semen. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Sixteen inches. Well, I've got a lot wow. of friends in the navy. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot. Very uh, impressive. <laughs> I'm sorry, you talked over all my sound effects. That's that's perfect. That's just what I wanted. He he's put those all in order on the soundboard, so you so, can just like click through them. I organize um, things occasionally, I, yeah, okay. like sound sound effects, sort of sometimes. Yeah. So anyway, go on. Let you do it uninterrupted. Okay, you you ready? Okay, here we go. No. Mm-hmm. Sixteen inches. Huh? Wow, <laughs> that's a lot. Very impressive. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> those are all recorded at different times, and In and you have to know the context. Yeah. <laughs> I take now we everything need Rick to out of say context. Something inappropriate. Yes, inappropriate <laughs> is is my middle name. All right, so continue yeah. with the, the so, story. Yeah. Really nice Monday evening, mm-hmm. um, and then that was Monday, yeah, Tuesday. Bad. I worked. You, I guess you did whatever the rest of your trip was there. That mm-hmm. I have no idea. Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot going on there. No, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Surprising. Yeah. Sleepy. Sleepy town. Yeah. Yep. And I worked all day on Tuesday, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here we are Wednesday, and yep. Jeff's back in Charlotte. I think he's stalking me. Please send help. <laughs> um, but anyway, we are going to record the show. Blink and then twice if you need help. And then hopefully, Blink twice. Liz. 
<laughs> okay, on its way. Liz is sending help. Liz, um, Liz is saying, blink twice if you need help. Yes. Uh, Human so trafficking. We're going to you know, do the show here, which we're like halfway through. I'm just going to continue on my story here because I'm very distracted. <laughs> Please, what is, is Nick blinking to? And then there's yes, yes. the oh, other boy. food option. So this is all about food, really. Let's be honest. Food and beverages. Yeah. Um, the other food option is a place actually in the hotel that you had been wanting to try. Sadly, not yet reopened. Because except of, for room service. Except for room service. Which we're going to so, actually going to. We should probably just order it now. Everything order. in the States was reopened. Well, yeah, but I don't know Liz what. thought everything here was reopened. Well, it's, a lot it's of places very are. Atlanta miss. is. It's everything. It's open. very hit or miss. So, you know, the restaurant we went in the other night, masks not required anymore. Um, and that's like a half a block from here. Mm-hmm. But the restaurant here, not open. No. So it's just. Yeah, you know, that might have something to do with maybe getting might be staffing. people coming, yeah, yeah. coming back to work. It might be staffing, and it might be because we are very much in like the business part of town centers, right. like banking area, and there might be a lot of people not yet back at their offices. So mm-hmm. volume might be down. It's just easier to staff, you know, a lower number of people to provide room service food. But the chef here, I think I've mentioned this on previous shows, um, was on the Food Network's uh, Chopped um, series. And it's a, like a contest of cooks, chefs, and uh, he was uh, the chopped champion. Uh, I don't know if it was like for the full season or a certain segment or whatever. But anyway, he's supposed to be a really good chef. So we're going to try it. Try out some of the food. Mm-hmm. In fact, we'll, we'll order that soon so that it gets here for the third segment of the show. Excellent. Pick something exotic. Yeah, we'll have to, to have to get the uh, menu. The menu yeah, in the room I somewhere. Think I have a menu somewhere. Right. I think on top of that, uh, I, I will yeah, retrieve right it. There. Okay. Um, mm, was that all, all that you've done? Mm, in the past week? Oh, uh, I was able to secure a an RV rental. Um, it's uh, I don't I think I've mentioned on the show that I've uh, ordered a recreational vehicle um, for myself, uh, but it's not going to be delivered until probably the fall of uh, next year or maybe even later. Um, hopefully by the end of summer, early fall next year. Um, before you actually retire. Before I retire, I hope. Uh, so I get a get to take it out a few times. Anywho, um, I was able to get a rental up in Galleon, Ohio. Not sure exactly where it is. I think it's north of uh, Columbus, Ohio. Anyway, they have it's an RV dealership that has one of these, very similar to the one that I ordered. It's a little bit older. It's a 2014 model, and a little bit different floor plan. But anyway, I was able to. uh, It's available, so I um, uh, am going to rent that. I'm going to drive it from Ohio over to a place in Wisconsin uh, called Oshkosh, Wisconsin, where they have the Air Venture. This year, so I'm planning on getting there probably Tuesday or Wednesday, middle of the week, and uh, meeting up with a whole bunch of people that uh, are in our community and are going to be hanging out there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to let everybody know that I do plan on being not for the entire uh, time like uh, Nick and I did a couple of years ago. Well, all of us did the whole the whole crew except for yeah. Rick wasn't able to make it. But um, yeah, so we had a. Had a fun time back in 2019. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think that's it. So now, Steph. Um, nope. The highlight was hanging out with you on Monday. Um, did some flying this past weekend. Aww. And that was very, yes, Liz thought that was very sweet. Touching. Uh, it's true. 
Ish. <laughs> wow, you, you always her? ruin it. Are you touching her? I'm not touching her. Look, oh. there's a lot of space here. There's, there's a, the, the camera is very, I thought barely, you said touching like, her. I know. Touch him. Um, and a little bit of flying on the weekend. Uh, the weather was kind of not great. Uh, Saturday morning started off wonderful. It was clear blue skies. And um, we had a lot of uh, business, a lot of customers, a lot of people wanting to jump out of airplanes on Saturday. So we were able to fly both of the airplanes, both the Otter and the Caravan, um, which is always a lot of fun because it just adds more logistical challenges, timing and airspace considerations and whatnot. Have you figured um, out how to land on the actual runway yet? Why would I want to do practicing? that? Saw a video of her coming in for land, landing, and she, like, you can see the runway, you're all lined up, and then you landed on the grass. That was on purpose. Right. That's what I always yeah. say. <laughs> I mean. When I land on the grass, I go, I did that on purpose. There's a lot of, a lot of. You landed mm-hmm. on the grass? Yeah. Of course, on the grass. On the grass. Saves the tires when you do a lot of landings. Hopefully not on the bowling the, green. Did you end yeah. up with the grass ass? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> I flew over your. Uh, Fair you did, yes. Place did. today, I saw. Oh, it. were you on the Jonesy or yep, the yep. the Jonesy mm-hmm. controller transition? And then we mm-hmm. took a little bit more of a heading because of spacing, because of all the airplanes coming in at the lunch hour here, and uh, and I, I showed Michael, my first officer, mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, look at that that that's where Steph flies her jumper dumper airplane." Mm-hmm. It's true. So. Um. So that was fun Saturday morning, and then uh, rain rolled in around just after noon. Actually, it built very quickly. It was it was impressive. Um, went from clear blue skies to very cloudy, lots of uh, cumulonimbus, and then those uh, same clouds really poured down rain for a couple of hours. So very um, impressive. Very impressive. Thank you, Nick. I concur. Um, Saturday and then Sunday, um, because of all the rain that we had, it was very low overcast ceilings for quite a lot of the day, but we ended up um, doing just a little bit of flying in the afternoon, mostly for people who wanted to stick around and didn't mind waiting it out. So that was fun. Cool. It's a good weekend. Yay. It's always a good weekend when you can get some flying in, right? Yeah. Okay. That's it. No more. Um, Okay. I guess it's time for us to go over here to the coffee fund and let me hit this little jingle. Jeff Smith. The APG job. Honey, job. how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea <laughs> and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The Coffee Fund, your way to support the show financially. Please. And the way you do that is to head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee, and you can learn the couple of different ways to join the Coffee Fund cadre, one of which is called the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And since the last episode, we have a nice young lady located in a beautiful city in Italy called Rome. Jenny in Rome. Jenny Parkinson. Thank you, Jenny. And the other way to support the show financially is called Patreon. You can become a patron of the show. And since the last episode, you might recognize his name. I think even last episode, mm-hmm. I mentioned Dustin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he signed up as a producer. But guess what? He upped his pledge. You know, we're upping our standards. Wow. We think you should up yours. Wow. Um, 
Yeah. So he uh, went from uh, the producer level to the executive producer level, like in the span of a week. Thank you, Dustin. We appreciate that. If you want to join these great people, please consider heading over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. Captain, incoming message. We get to start off with some audio feedback from our favorite air traffic controller in Iraq. And you know him as Mohammed. That's the way we know him as well. Take it away, Mohammed. Hello, APG friends. This is Mohammed from Iraq. And uh, finally, I got the certification on the ground position in the aerodrome control tower in Baghdad International Airport. And uh, it was very emotional moment, a moment, I can say. And uh, after that, I took the first aircraft I talked to. It was a Jordanian 815. And also I told the, the, the pilot, this is my first two communications uh, contact with you as a certificate uh, as a certificate certificated correction on the ground uh, position and the pilot was very friendly and he uh, congrats me a lot uh, and also on the same day uh, a small incident happened during on my uh, duty as a, a, a ground controller um, it was an aircraft uh, suddenly uh, canceled taxi uh, because uh, the pilot facing difficulties on the steering wheel. Uh, and uh, absolutely, I take the proper, appropriate action to, uh, and I send, uh, I send the follow me and uh, towing uh, vehicle, then the aircraft back to the, uh, to the gate. It was a very nice moment. Uh, everybody congrats me in the aerodrome control tower. It was a big step. And it's a half big step, by the way. Uh, because now I have to work to get a certification on the aerodrome control tower to be an aerodrome tower controller. Uh, and that step needs about 90 hours. Okay. Thank you for your support, APG. Thank you for your encouragements. Thank you for your caring to me, throwing the life chat. And uh, absolutely, I have to thank the APG community also, uh, who they are always uh, supportive, like you, APG. And I wish you well. Thank you very much. Keep hard working. Bye-bye. Thank you, Mohammed, and of course uh, we have to say congratulations. That's awesome. Well, we need some well, here. There we go. Good job. Very, good very job. good, Mohammed. You're awesome. All right. Always appreciate the feedback. It's yeah. Interesting to hear your um, just how things are progressing for you and all the interesting stories along the way. So, thanks. and it's nice to get those nice compliments from people who have been doing this for. A long time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so nice to hear of you being helpful like that, unlike New York air traffic controllers. <laughs> Somehow we always get the John F. Kennedy controller uh, 
thing in the, in the show from from Nick. Uh, you miss it, don't you, Nick? Come Nick on, be really honest. Loved it. Yeah, I'm I'm I miss being able to say no. I'm not going to do that, or no, I can't take that way, or I'm an A three forty six hundred. Don't you know where I can taxi? Uh, hmm. well, that helps. That helps me get through the day a little. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. What What else can you say, really? I don't know. I thought you were going to say something clever about mm. New York controllers. Back. I was there, thinking but... about it, but then uh, mm-hmm. it just went right over, right out of my head. Um. All right. Uh, I'm sure they'll they're listening, so perhaps they'll send some feedback in. Oh, I'm know. sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, what's perhaps his name? Explain uh, themselves. JFK Steve. 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 Kennedy yeah. Steve. Kennedy Steve. Kennedy Steve. If you're listening, we'd love some audio feedback. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. And, Have you got uh, your bleeper? <laughs> they, they're quite capable of defending themselves. I'm sure. I'm mm. sure they are. We may need to. Um, there might be some editing of their audio as well for the. Um, Colorful language, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly. Yes. Possibly. Hey, Rob sent this in. Um, newsworthy story about the heartwarming act of the, uh, well, it used to be called the Confederate Air Force. What do they call it now? The uh, something that starts with a C, Air Force. Somebody look at staff. We have a, I'm looking. I'm, I'm right here. On. I'm staff. Oh, staff. Staff. Oh. Not, not staff. Oh, no. staff. Oh, staff. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's uh, as I said. It used to be called the Confederate Consolidated Air Force. No, I don't think so. Um, anyway, Air Force. while the staff is researching that, uh, they had their B twenty nine Fifi at McKinney National Airport a couple of weekends ago. Commemorative, commemorative Air Force. Air Force. Thank you, staff. Uh, after an hour seeing my Beechcraft C twenty three Sundower Sundowner for the first time, I took him over to the line for a cockpit tour. He felt a ride in Fifi was too expensive. Some 150-plus people in line for the walkthrough. Uh, commemorative Air Force volunteer comes over, pulls him and me out of the line, takes him out to the bird before any of the mass in line. I had quietly informed um, volunteer at Ticket Booth. He was an Air Force veteran with a lot of time in the B-29 before going to pilot training. Chatted with the crew standing in shade at the nose gear about his experience as flight engineer on the B-29 from 1950 to 52, about 750 plus hours over three years. He was then escorted to the open forward bomb bay and the bottom of a seven foot plus tall ladder for the climb to cockpit level and forward through a low hatch. Made it with almost no assist. Not bad for 93 years and five months young. Wow. Into the engineer's seat for this photo, and within 20 seconds, his hands moved to throttles, controls, switches, and various gauges, called out without looking directly at them after 70 years since last being in that seat. So 70 years from now, if we put you oh, in. I'm going to be dead. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll only be no, 130 do? years old. <laughs> if we, I was going to say, if we put you in an L-1011? Hmm. No, not 70 years from now, but 70 years from when you flew it, perhaps. I think you might still be <laughs> yeah, alive. I could do it. I could do it real easy because like, there's only two buttons. In the L-1011? Oh, oh, in yeah. the Airbus? Yes. Well, my problem, though, Nick, is I probably would get on the airplane and turn right. And so, and they'd all be like grabbing. No, 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 no. You got this right. Left is where the content. I love it. Um, anyway, into the engineer's seat for this photo, and within 20 seconds, 
His hands moved to throttles controls. Oh, we just read that. Take, uh, talk of takeoffs at March Field, California, at close to 2,000 pounds over max gross takeoff for practice bomb runs. Uh, had the CAF crew enamored. We got to talk about five minutes or so, and it was time for the trip down a ladder through the bailout hatch. Again, he soloed. Uh, wow. That's pretty amazing for... Spry. Yes, spry. Yes. That's the way I describe myself. Um, not really. Uh, let's see. That's enough out of you. He tested for and was accepted into pilot training in 1952, got his wings in 1954, and flew single-seat jet fighters for the next 12-plus years, racked up about 9,000 hours in his logbook. Most of his time was in the F-86D all-weather interceptor at Misawa Air Force Base in Japan, and then Han Air Force Base in Germany, flying scramble alert for the Air Defense Command against the Rushkis, the Russians. Finished his Air Force career mm-hmm. in the F-102 and then to NORAD inside Cheyenne Mountain, Colorado Springs, Colorado. He uh, called a f- close friend the uh, next day and said he had he just had the best time in many, many years experiencing the B-29 again and could not stop talking about it. He introduced me to flying at age 13, and I was hooked. Thank you for your service, Dad. And this was uh, Rob Legal is the one who sent this in, but I believe um, the guy uh, who was actually doing the social media Bruce was McLeod. Bruce McLeod. From a, was that a like Facebook a, or a, uh, maybe a, it might be an Instagram post. You should be able to, I mean, you're the social media ex- expert stuff. You should know that. Um, social media's queen. Social media. I, I think it's a Facebook post. Could be Facebook, yeah. So a uh, great photo. If you're not uh, watching the video, uh, make sure that you uh, check this out in our show notes. Uh, this guy, I mean, in, for 93 years old, he looks really, really young. Spry. Fantastic. Yeah, spry. Mm-hmm. And uh, sitting and there in the- And didn't drink much IPA. <laughs> hey, yeah. they got the hula girl obligatory. Oh, look at that. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, check it out. And uh, Rob, thank you for- Sending this in. That was very, uh, very cool. All right. And uh, Providence, Rhode Island, PVD. Okay. Rob, next time I have a layover up there, we need to have another meetup. And uh, I know that there are a few folks up that way. I might be there this year. No, really? September. Providence. Okay. (laughs) September it is for the meetup. David Lieb. (laughs) Yes. David Lieb is uh, up there, not too far, up in Massachusetts. Anyway, um, we'll continue on with uh, this one. Rob sent this in, and he said, uh, oh, it's a, it's a link to a YouTube video. And it says, uh, CRJ900 needs to go around for a strange reason. He says, first off, I want to apologize for always doing news feedback touch and goes. <laughs> I, I always am looking at my phone in uh, lulls on turns. And somehow finding aviation news articles sitting at the gate, uh, geo-referenced news maybe. And I never find the time to draft something of quality or length. Yeah, we noticed that, Rob. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, His uh, name is Rob because that's what we've been calling him. Uh, He's a Part 135, Part 91, PC-12, Pilatus PC-12. Pilatus. And that's made by Swiss, Switzerland, right? I think that's in Switzerland. It's a Swiss aircraft, I believe. And uh, he's a captain on the PC 12. uh, He says, let's say uh, Air Bazaar, Mm. a bit codec 
there, the thesaurus will help. Let's see. What are some other names for bazaar? Like like you go to a bazaar, like a very like fancy a boutique? boutique. Carnival? Yeah. No, I think it's oh. boutique. Let's oh, God. Boutique. Okay. Um, and have been flying the uh, PC-12 for more than three years with 121 flying on the horizon in this post-COVID world. I discovered your podcast by stunning, amazing photos posted by Miami Rick of the 747. My favorite heavy. Sorry, Nick. And ultimately, oh, you, you just lost a, a friend. Oh, oh, well. And ultimately found a reference to APG. I've been listening to you ever since uh, 2014-ish. Also, uh, that's a while, actually. Uh, we're a military family, and with all the moves we've done, you guys have seriously saved me on the horrendous long drives with topics and humor I laugh at that only makes my wife glare at me. <laughs> Another thing to thank you for. Ha. Ooh. He's a little mean-spirited, isn't he? Mm. Mm. It's okay. We like that around here. Yeah. Snarky yeah. and, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, right on, to the, on to the purpose of my email. So he sent me uh, a, or us a link to a YouTube video. And let's see. He's, he writes some more here. So, um, okay. So we're going to go ahead right. and play some this. Some more video. rude stuff about Airbuses. Um, does he? Does he continue with rude things about Airbuses in his... Uh, Fever? Well, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think okay. I, the only thing he said is it wasn't his favorite. I mean, that's not rude. I think, but uh, uh, anyway, don't take it the wrong way, man. Um, we're gonna play this. <laughs> too late. Oh, too late. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna play this. Oh shoot! I thought I had that uh, all set up, and I did not. So let me see if I can find it. So nothing to see here. M move on. Move on. Here we go. I found it. Reconstruction of flights. Okay, I guess I should put this on pause. The date was 21 April 2021, New York, New York, an Endeavor Air Canada Air regional jet, the CRJ 900, was performing flight uh, 4785 from Detroit Metro Wayne County Airport to New York Kennedy. Uh, on final approach to New York Kennedy Airport, reported that they wanted to go around due to a really unusual and rare reason continue watching and you'll hear it so here we go time for the video to start i put it on pause too long i guess Endeavor 
um, our friend dispatcher Mike um, and I were on a frequency at the same time flying around. And he goes, oh, on the radio, you sound like a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Not the first time that people accused you of. (laughs) No, not the first. Actually, that was the first time. It's not the last time that someone has um, thought I was quite young to be operating an aircraft. (laughs) Thank heaven. For little girls. <laughs> okay, let's continue with, uh, and now we're going to be hearing nothing but Dr. Steph um, when the controller talks. Yeah, but he's gone over to another controller now. This guy, is it just me? I thought you were, I thought you were going to say, is it just me or does this guy like Sounds drunk? Sounds dead. Like yeah. not, he's not speaking very clearly. He doesn't enunciate very well. And no. I would like to say that this is um, not very common to hear, but it's kind of common it's to hear. It's more common at this age group, I think. This age group, you get a lot of... Yeah. 114809, left 340, call the field, 10 o'clock. 340, we'll let you know, and then we'll push 785. Number 4785, New York, uh-huh. 5114, and you want 311 left again? Sorry, that wasn't first. Uh, yeah, 140, and we'll take 31 left. Um, we're going to make sure the guy in the back, all right? All right, so what was the reason for the call? I got a guy thrown up in the bathroom. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. All right, 180 for okay? Ah, that's good. Appreciate it. Okay, and then the uh, video showing the depiction of the flight path. That guy's going to be okay. They're ready to go back around. Okay, 140, Okay, we get the joke. The passenger had the fish. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Yeah, exactly. Every passenger on this plane will have fish for dinner. Will become violently ill in the next half hour. Bam. All right. A reference to our favorite <laughs> Daniel movie. Daniel has a good comment here. Uh, what does he say? Happens all the time at my airline. Usually they don't make it to the bathroom. Ooh, <laughs> that's no good. I've had someone throw up on me in flight. Well, not on me, but like oh. right behind me. Oh, on your jumper uh-huh. dumper airplane? Uh-huh. Oh, that's not good. Uh-huh. And usually I have, like, in my flight bag, I have airsick bags because mm-hmm. we don't, I mean, there's no great place to put them. Or, or a raincoat. But I didn't, yeah, or that, I guess. But I didn't have it with me on that particular flight. Oh. I was, I was like, this is not really an emergency. What would you like me to do about it? Like, you. Were they know. about to jump or something? Yeah. Hmm. Did they jump? Mm, yes, actually. Okay. Yeah, got it After all. they vomited. The air probably just clean it right off of them. Not you, but off of them. I've also seen that happen to um, tandem instructors under canopy, too. Usually their passenger um, gets a little sick. It's not. I've, yes, dealt with that. I hope that this is not a show title. Air sick passengers? I'm not writing anything down. Thank you. Okay. Uh, I must admit, I've had it in the past. Um, Not personally. I've had this situation on our aircraft. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly heard of other aircraft going around. I don't know if it's that rare. Um, and usually people just say, uh, the cabin's not secure, we're going around. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you don't have to give all the uh, gory you details. You don't have to explain that got there's got someone puking in the back. vomiting in the toilet. You just can't land because there's a passenger not in their seat. Right. So, <laughs> Yeah, that would be the big deal. best or much better way to say it. Um, but then you wouldn't get on... These kind of <laughs> YouTube. That's true. We wouldn't, and, we wouldn't hear your video played on the no, show. It'd be very boring. Uh, how boring is that? The cabin not, not secure. Mm. <laughs> Move yeah. on. Find the vomiting man. 
He says, it's always good to hear the reason for a go-around, but I love the purity of this concise response. Can't clarify any better than this, and love, and you can hear the smile on both sides of the comm as they're getting the visual. What were some of your compelling reasons for a go-around besides a typical unstable approach? I recently had an airport operations vehicle break down crossing my runway just before landing. Ah, perfect. We called go around to hold a while as they cleared it on the field's only open runway. Uh, At a previous operation, my most peculiar go around for me was the final leg of a long day landing at night at an uncontrolled airport. Running the before landing checklist, the FO suddenly stopped and stated, I know it's been a long day, but are those runway lights all flickering for you too? They were, they were, and not in any particular sequence or pattern, puzzled us enough as we debated it. And then upon hearing the 500-foot audible, I realized we never finished the before landing checklist, which only had landing lights remaining, or landing light, I guess, in this case. I called for it to confirm. First officer finished that last item. I flipped them on, and to our surprise, we see hundreds of eyes glaring back at us. (laughs) <laughs> called go around was he landing in my neighborhood because this is a very common um obstacle really dear, dear. oh dear okay called go around and as the runway surface lit from our lights we see hundreds of deer scattering every direction Did you just off say, the oh runway. dear oh oh dear oh dear there we go. Show title. Uh, there it is. And uh, trying to escape the rapidly approaching white roaring light. Although we likely cleared the runway with the roar of max go around power, knowing there were so many deer on the field, I opted to divert just in case there was one that uh, random, or let's see, in case there was that one random suicidal stray deer in the herd that everyone normally finds on freeways, <laughs> if not a few of them. The following day, I called the airport manager to hear that they had staff arrive in the morning to find a deer herd estimated at 200 to 300 head. <laughs> wow. On the field, Good landscaping Lord. the years of untouched, pristine grass between the runways. The herd size broke down a section of the perimeter fence, and the grass beckoned them in, or the grass beckoned them in. Either way, we could have broken a record that night for the most deer strikes by a single aircraft. <laughs> yeah. Then we would have been talking about that on the uh, show. Yeah. One award we were glad we didn't earn and likely would have been uh, posthumous. Posthumous. I said that right, didn't I? Posthumous. Posthumous. Yeah, yep, pretty posthumous. close. Anyway, yeah. great. Second time. Second time wasn't a bad effort. Well, okay. Well, you shouldn't say that because I could have <laughs> I could have deleted the first time that I said it uh, when I edit the show. No, now you can't. You now see? I can't. Now you've ruined it for me. Thanks. Uh. Anyway, great podcast, although you don't know me personally. I've been listening since 2014, 2015. You guys feel like family. Glad to say I'm currently only one episode episode behind at the moment. Fourth stage APG or uh-oh, it's terminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you make my drive to work bearable, and I appreciate oh all the effort you guys have put in for so long. <laughs> Ever find yourself in the Providence, Boston area over the next two years? Why? Another Providence. Um, Providence. When next military orders are due, huh? Same person. Oh, is it? I thought it was. Uh, oh, it is the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a different Rob. Uh, anyway, uh, please reach out. Food and beer on me. Oh, sounds messy.
Let's see. P.S. Any other known APGers in my area? Mini meetup. There you go. There you go. So do you guys have any other unusual go-around reasons from your hmm. long and distinguished Mine are all boring. Well, just like, you know, the previous airplane still on the runway mm-hmm. and, you know, can't go around. Or, you know, like really bad, nasty thunderstorms or something like mm-hmm. that. But that's it. Mm-hmm. You? Um, I have gone around for deer. Not 200 to 300 of them, but like three standing right next to the um, threshold of the runway as you're, you know, like, eh, I don't really want to. But usually that one go around, they scatter, yeah. you know, so you come back around. Because you really don't know what they're going to do, right? No, you have no idea what they're going to do. It's like a squirrel, you know, yeah, it's in the room. Exactly. Okay, are you going to exactly. keep going? Or are you going to yeah. stop and then go back the other way? I'm like, yeah. I have gone around for um, a skydiver has landed on the runway. Hmm. It's a good oh, reason to go around. Yeah. 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 No, go around. Definitely. That's only happened once. That's pretty rare, actually. Um, but that's something you're always paying out, paying attention for and looking out for because it happens and we have you know, students and um, sometimes the wind conditions are different than people expect and stuff happens. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but that's about it. How about you, Nick? Oh, as he takes a big swig of beer. Sorry. <laughs> I, thanks for that. I, I, I was just been, been thinking looking. about it. And quite honestly, I've had so few that now I can't think of uh, an interesting one. It's all been pretty, you know, run of the mill. By the way, um, I, you didn't hear uh, Stefan's audio feedback. Uh, Steph hasn't either, because that was one of the feedbacks that we covered with the segment with Miami Rick. But he uh, sent us some audio feedback to kind of defend uh, some of the stats that he um Oh, I, I did read his e- okay, feedback. Yeah. yeah, and he talked about one of the things because Nick had made the um, the statement like twenty six go rounds. I mean, like that's a huge number what, of. What's go- wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. Nick, <laughs> yes. questioning things? No. Um, but anyway, he he provided a, a, an explanation for uh, the reasons for those those go arounds. Still a lot, He's though. Just a very bad pilot. <laughs> that, that was the bottom line, yeah. That was the number one reason. <laughs> Stefan, that's Captain Nick at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Or uh, I'm Nick, offended not at AirlinePilotGuy.com. <laughs> yeah, Nick, no if you send me you. another bottle no of gin. No gin for Nick. If you send me a bottle of gin, so I'll take it back. <laughs> take the gin back or take your rude statement back? Both, both. Oh, okay. no, I'll keep the gin, take the statement back. Anyway, so Nick, you'll have to listen to the uh, audio feedback on your own because we have already covered his feedback. Uh, okay, so. I'll do that. All right, let's do number seven. We have some more audio feedback from some dude who claims that he's an air traffic controller in some big tower in some big airport in near some the big city, some big city in England. So some little country. Some little country. <laughs> okay, here we go. Hi guys, Adam here from the UK. Hope you're all well. Just a bit of feedback about some of the more recent um, featured appearances of air traffic controllers on the show. Uh, thinking specifically of, um, I think it was the uh, the controller in Miami who was having a bit of a bad day. And, and then uh, more recently, at, I think it was Lakeland, so Florida again, I guess, um, where I think what happened was, was that pilot decided to to taxi down a different taxiway to the one he was cleared on i think um but anyway yeah just just some general comments really i mean i've been in atc now i've been at heathrow for 23 years and 
it it can be a little disappointing when you hear that sort of thing and i'm sure it's the same for you guys um certainly in the the guy in miami having a bad day or something but that just should not happen um i mean i hope he hasn't got a history of doing that sort of thing but whatever competency scheme they have running at that unit that should be being picked up um because you just do not talk to pilots like that on the radio um there's there's a as controllers we're providing a service at the end of the day we're providing a service to flight crew and vehicle drivers and all the other agencies we interact with but primarily to certainly to aircraft in the air and on the surface of the airport and their their flight crews and you go to work or certainly you know this is my own view anyway you go to work and you prepare to provide the highest level of service that you can and sometimes that means you have to bite your tongue um, and just take a deep breath and just don't say anything or say something other than what you might actually want to say as an emotional response. You know, at the end of the day, I'm relatively safe and sound in my control tower and um, I'm going to finish my shift at the shift end time and get in the car and drive home. You know, however, if perhaps I highlight a mistake that a pilot's made, um, that might have been made for you know genuine reasons and, and not intentional um you know what i don't want is for them to be dwelling on it you know as they're taxiing out for departure they think about the mistake that maybe they made um or if 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 they've misunderstood my tone of voice when i told them that they'd made a mistake i i want them fully concentrating on the checklist on the taxiing out on their sops making sure that doing all the things that flight crew do when when they're taxiing out and lining up on the runway and taking off and departing into a busy terminal airspace environment, I don't want them thinking about anything other than that. So, you know, it has certainly happened where, where a flight crew have made a mistake and my frequency, I don't even tell them. Um, obviously, if there's going to be a learning point or, or it's happening a lot, um, in one particular area of the airfield, then obviously we'll make a report. Potentially, we might get in touch with the airline and get them to talk to the flight crew en route and just say, you know, this happened on departure. Can you can you write a report about it um, or something like that? It's it's you know you you just need to be a bit careful. There's no point just saying you've you've gone wrong, you know, and that just that just creates a bit of the atmosphere that we saw with the second clip, the the um, interaction at, at Lakeland. Um, well, okay, yeah, if the pilot did take the decide he knew better or he wanted to change his mind without telling ATC and taxi down a different taxiway, yeah, okay, you know, that's not an ideal situation. But even then, as, an, as a controller, you just say, okay, sorry, there's been a misunderstanding. Here's how you need, you know, here's where you need to go. Here are the new taxiways. Here's the, your new clearance. We'll sort this out on the phone or, you know, something like that. It just opens up a whole can of worms, many cans of many worms, if you start arguing or discussing it on the RT. And it's just a bit of a shame that maybe, I guess it's social media and and, and whatever, but it just seems to be slightly increasing in, uh, in prevalence. Um, we're controllers, we work, you know, I, I, my simplistic view is I work for the pilots that I'm talking to. I give them the best service that I can. If I make a mistake, I say, sorry, that's my mistake. Um, you know, here's what we can do to sort it out. 
if a pilot makes a mistake, I might not even say so, or I might just say, oh, okay, sorry, I thought you were going to do this. Okay, let's do this instead. Here's, here's plan B, because we all should be having plan B in our heads as, as, as controllers, and C, and D, and E, all the way to Z. Um, yep, Z, not Z, Z. Um, that's what we're paid for, you know. If, if, if the whole um, sort of thing comes tumbling down like a house of cards because a pilot's made a mistake, then it probably wasn't a very resilient plan in the first place. Um, and we should be agile enough to to work around it. Um, so, yeah, let's hope some uh, positive um, controller interactions are highlighted <laughs> on APG soon. Otherwise, uh, some of the listeners might be getting the wrong idea. Anyway, um, hope you're all well. And, uh, yeah, hope to see you all soon. Cheers. Bye. No, you're, I, I agree with you 100%, Adam. I think you're quite right there. Um, that's really any, uh, it's what people in any professional um, capacity should be striving for is to be professional in their job, even when things don't go the way that you're wanting them to go or expecting them to go. I think you, like, as you said, you deal with the problem in a professional manner. And then if something needs to be changed about it or talked, discussed, debriefed, whatever it is, um, uh, reprimanded, you do that perhaps after the fact, as long as there's nothing that's occurring in that moment, that's a very serious safety concern. Um, so I, I agree. I think it, uh, life would be a little bit easier for all of us if we could just recognize that people are human and they're prone to making errors and they might not understand always every rule and regulation that they're supposed to be following, even though they probably should. Um, but people are going to mess those things up and there's not much you can do about it except for continue to do your job and help people along, along the way. Um, but yeah, I think unless there's a, an immediate safety issue, it doesn't do any good to lose your temper or be angry or snarky or do something that's going to end you up on YouTube videos being made fun of. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, the only thing I can say to all that is. Come on, man. Oh, I need to put that a little bit louder. <sighs> Come on, man. <laughs> you know, yes. the secret to good humor is timing. <laughs> <laughs> what were we just saying, Nick, about being professionals and, you know, uh, supporting rolling, rolling uh, Well, I was, I was just to get about to interject there and just tell Adam, you know, what a grown-up attitude. And I say that uh, with true sincerity because, you know, I – uh, having worked with um, the London controllers and uh, Heathrow, uh, it was like uh, you know it, it is really they they work to a different standard to almost anywhere else in the world, and uh, I think as pilots we always uh, appreciate that enormously, and um, you know I think it's a job where you really do have to take your ego out of the equation so that you, you're just you know you're just going i'll push that to one side i'll have a beer after work and complain to my fellow air traffickers about it but now's not the time to make a big deal now's the time to set the pilot straight on what he needs to do to you know go down the right taxiway or take the right uh, do the right maneuver or give the right clearance uh, uh, but if you take him to task with everything right there and then 
Adam is quite correct. You can you can put a, the pilot in a mindset where he is now angry and annoyed, perhaps with his own failure, perhaps with the uh, trafficker himself. Uh, you end up in a heated conversation over the radio, which is completely inappropriate. And the one thing you can be sure is that pilot's no longer on his job anymore. And he will probably fume about that event for hours all that time. He's a danger to himself and his aircraft. He's a menace to himself and everything else in the air. Because he's no longer single-mindedly concentrating on what he needs to do. So Adam is quite right. Um, we like to think we get things right most of the time. We probably don't. Air traffickers are the ones that can point us in the right direction. I think we should always be accept their uh, advice with uh, humility, particularly if we've made a mistake. Uh, but on the other hand, air traffickers should never really lose their cool with the pilot because he's right. At the end of the, that air trafficker shift, he, uh, he put, unplugs his headset and goes home. That pilot is going to go and fly. And we all know how much concentration we need to do that job well. We can't afford to be distracted. I was just going to say it's interesting um, from my perspective, flying in the same airspace over the course of uh, a number of hours um, throughout the day, uh, which is kind of a unique thing. Usually you fly from one point to another mm -hmm. and you talk to one controller and then another and then another. Um, it, but it's just interesting to watch how things change both from pilot perspective or just, um, I guess, the way things are managed, handled, um, the brevity or the lack of brevity um, as the day goes through its various phases of being busy and then less busy and busy again. You can definitely sense the shift in the tone uh, that people use when they're communicating. Um, you can you can almost feel their workload rising. Um, you can hear stress. You can hear stress case. on the radio for yeah. sure. Even if it's not stress, it's just, wow, there's a lot going on right now. And, it, you know, everyone's trying to do uh, not just from the controller side, but from the pilot side as well, because perhaps you've been given a frequency to check on and you're like trying to, trying to check on or there's something you need to ask or something you want to do, mm. um, you know, and you're like, gosh, I just can't get a word in edgewise. So it happens on both sides of the the <clears throat> mic there. Um, but you can definitely hear it, you know, in the controllers too when their workload increases. Um, and those are the times where you really just need to slow down and say, okay, is there any kind of like immediate threat here to anything? If the answer is no, keep doing what you're doing, wait for your moment, speak, think about what you're going to say, say it concisely and to the point. And, you know, hopefully when you get the chance to, to speak and do what you need to do, then it, it goes very smoothly. Um, when people start getting very flustered, it's very easy to lose your temper quickly or take up more time than you need to. And that just starts to snowball and, and magnify. So, um, it's kind of a unique perspective I have, um, and it's interesting just to hear how that changes throughout the day. That's a good point. Yeah, because yeah, as you said, the kind of flying that Nick and I have done, and and I presently do, is that we, we're in an area and then we're gone. You know, we're <laughs> we're in a different sector and a different environment where you're flying the around all, all the long. same. Yeah, for like twelve hours sometimes. Hmm. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. And obviously, different controllers, different pilots come through, right. and things like that. But yeah, it's, you probably it's, sense different. Uh, you sense different workload levels for mm -hmm. sure in the same area. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Why don't we quickly do this uh, piece of feedback, and then we'll uh, go to the plane tail. Uh, this is from. Uh, oh, okay, 
John, and I, I was thinking, wait a minute, not John's not the big ass fan guy. It is not. No, no, it's from, from John Picard. I, I know. <laughs> Liz is saying it's from John Picard. Uh, Captain Nielsen, I have a bone to pick with you. The airline pilot guy show makes a lot of references to big ass fans. I mean, we're big ass fans of the big ass fans. We are. Let me tell you my tale of embarrassment. I was instructing students in basic gas turbine turbines, and I had been teaching the variance lesson in the classroom when I said to the students, meet me down in the hangar. Now, what I wanted to say was next to the high bypass turbofan engine. But guess what I actually said? Meet me in the hangar next to the big ass fan. <laughs> <laughs> now begins the explanation of why I said that. I mean, who would believe me that it's something that's said a lot on a podcast? Then I had to address the diversity uh, aspect of my comment. Who was upset by the use of the word ass? Let this be a lesson to everyone. Don't listen to APG before going into the classroom. <laughs> John. Do we need to have some sort of standard disclaimer that we are not responsible for anything that you may repeat that yes. we have said that may be offensive to I've got the any and all on it. purpose? Oh. Any persons yeah i think liz said that she has the lawyers on it right now excellent um we need uh, this is classic john sent us a photo and the look on his face is quite damning he actually. looks very disappointed in us very disappointed in us uh, and and you know to be honest i've seen this look from so many people in my life um it's, it's yeah, probably sad. most recently me yes <laughs> very, very commonly. <laughs> so there you go. I recognize that. that there's, there's John with that very disappointed look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, John. That's uh, excellent. I love that picture. That's great. That is great. All right. Well, with that, I think it's now time for us to play this week's installment of the Old Pilot's Plain Tales. And the title of this one this week is, is this some kind of a hint, Nick? I think he's trying to tell you something. I think he is. Sweet Retirement. Take it away. Ah. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. Sweet Retirement. Built by Fairchild Republic and nicknamed the Warthog, or just Hog, but more formally known as the Thunderbolt II, it was named after the Republic P-47 Thunderbolt, a long-serving World War II fighter bomber with a fine combat record. The Thunderbolt II, on the other hand, was designed for one purpose only, for close air support of friendly troops, attacking armoured vehicles, tanks and the like. It was needed to replace the SPAD, the A-1 Sky Radar, which had done such sterling service during the Vietnam War, but was considered well out of date. The A-10 would have much superior firepower. Great protection for the pilot, but still have many of the SPAD's qualities, such as a short takeoff and landing run, and the ability to absorb significant amounts of damage. Its simple design would enable maintenance with minimal facilities. The proposal was for an aircraft that could help to counter the threat of Soviet armoured forces that might pour across the West German plains. 
to say that the warthog was designed around its gun wouldn't be an exaggeration. And when Pierre Spray, a defence analyst and member of the Air Force's fighter mafia, was given the task of writing the specifications, he indicated that the ideal aircraft should have a long loiter time, low-speed maneuverability, extreme survivability, and a massive cannon. With this in mind, a separate proposal was put out for a new 30mm cannon with both a high rate of fire and high muzzle velocity. General Electric and Philco Ford took up the challenge and their work led to the awe-inspiring Gao 8. So substantial that it takes up 16% of the A-10's unladen weight, it measures nearly 19.5 feet almost six metres in length. Its seven 30mm barrels, powered by two independent hydraulic systems, rotate so fast that the cannon usually delivers 3,900 rounds per minute and can do even more. A massive payload of shells that vary from armour-piercing incendiary projectiles, high-explosive rounds and depleted uranium-penetrating cores. At this speed, it takes 18 seconds of continuous fire to empty the magazine. The shells are almost a foot, nearly 30 centimetres in length and weigh over one and a half pounds, about 0.7 of a kilo each. Apart from having twice the range, half the time to target, and three times the mass of projectiles fired by the more common M61 Vulcan cannon, this remarkable weapon is also extremely accurate. It has an 80% dispersion of only 5 mils, which at its design range of 4,000 feet, that's 1,200 metres, means that 80% of rounds will fall within a 40-foot, a 12-metre circle. The weight and inertia of the ammunition is such that gravity drop is very small, only 10 feet, that's 3 metres, over a flight of three-quarters of a mile. Carrying such a mighty weapon does have some disadvantages – The volume of smoke from the gun is copious and contains no oxygen, so if it enters the engines, it can flame them out. As such, when the gun fires, the engine igniters also run. Because the mass of fired rounds has the potential to push the entire aircraft off course, the centre of the gun has been shifted slightly to the left. This ensures that the active barrel is exactly on the centreline of the fuselage when it fires. The A-10 was first used in combat during the Gulf War in 1991 and proved to be very effective, destroying more than 900 Iraqi tanks, 2,000 other military vehicles and 1,200 artillery pieces. It even shot down two Iraqi helicopters. It was on an anti-tank mission that we join Rob Sweet in his much-beloved hog. The war had been going on for a month, and Rob's mission was to hunt down Republican Guard tanks about 80 miles north of the Q80 border. It was his 30th mission of the war, and he was being led by Captain Stephen Phyllis, both of them from the 353rd Tactical Fighter Squadron. 
They were both a little tense, as they would be operating a long way from help, should things go wrong. As they arrived in the target area, both aircraft came under heavy enemy fire, so Sweet and Phyllis followed their standing orders and turned around to exit this hot spot. As they navigated clear, their eyes caught something new, a row of Republican Guard tanks that looked as if they had not yet been hit, a surprise to both Sweet and Phyllis, because the United States had been relentlessly bombing the Iraqis for 30 straight days. Unable to pass up this opportunity, they attacked. After that point, Sweet said, although a number of aircraft had been hit and damaged, they had only lost one A-10, so there was generally a feeling of invulnerability amongst the pilots. Having dropped his cluster bombs, Sweet was pulling away from the target at 13,000 feet when he heard a loud bang. His aircraft shuddered and quickly went out of control. He'd been hit by an Iraqi SA-13 ground-aware missile. Looking back, he could see that he was on fire, so he made a bit of a panicky call to his flight lead. Hey, I'm hit. Out of control. Can't get it under control. And he swore. As he looked down, he saw the ground rushing up, so at 6,000 feet he ejected, coming down right on top of the headquarters of the Medina Republican Guards and about 20 yards from a T-72 tank. After hearing stories of captured troops being boiled in oil, guys talked about riding their aircraft in rather than being captured, Sweet said. Memories of what Vietnam POWs went through his head, but he realised that if you ride it in, you know you're going to die. If you punch out, at least you have a shot at surviving. He felt defeated as he pulled the ejector seat handle, having survived to his 30th mission. In his chute, he drifted right into the area he had been attacking, landing amongst a bunch of enemy troops who climbed out of holes and ran up to him. He didn't even have time to stand up after his parachute landing before they were on him. These guys had been bombed for days on end, so this was their chance for some payback, and they wailed on him hard. He was being kicked and taking rifle butts to the head, but luckily some officers came up and shooed away the Iraqi troops. He was dragged into a vehicle and taken to an underground bunker for an initial interrogation. Sweet was taken into a room of high-ranking Iraqi officers. He was in pretty bad shape now, covered in his own blood from the beating, when a younger officer came in and put a cluster bomblet right down in front of him, shouting in a language he didn't understand. The A-10s had been dropping a mix of cluster bombs, some with different fuse delays, to hit troops who came out of shelter to take a look around. He had no idea how long it had been since they dropped these and was wondering if this one was still live. He didn't make a scene, thinking that if it went off, at least it would take them all out. It took two days to get him to Baghdad, and for most of that time he was in an army truck in broad daylight. As an A-10 pilot, he knew just how vulnerable they were to friendly fire, and he wondered if an A-10 might take them out. They drove him around, tied up and blindfolded, 
and every now and then they would stop. There would be some talking and shouting, and then someone would smack him in the head. He ended up at a prison they called the Baghdad Biltmore, where he left the care of the army and was handed over to what was probably the Mukhabarat, the General Directorate of Intelligence. In their hands, his treatment went downhill fast. A lot of interrogations, beatings, threats with guns to the head and the like. He wasn't asked for a lot of technical information. Some tactical questions, like when the ground war was going to start, Mainly, they wanted to know what religion he was, how many Israeli pilots they had in the Air Force, political questions like his opinion of Saddam Hussein, and theological questions. A shelter full of civilians had recently been bombed, and they brought in a man whose wife and kids had died, and said that he was going to kill him now. They wanted to know which pilot had done the bombing. Of course, Sweet had no idea, but this one event caused him no end of beatings and directed much anger towards him. Again and again they put a gun to his head, and as he tried to shy away they pulled the trigger. There would be a loud click as the hammer fell onto an empty breech. Eventually, Sweet realised that they probably weren't going to kill him. They were bluffing about that something he put down to his relative junior rank of lieutenant. It also became apparent that even though they were frequently roughing him up, they were going to keep him alive. Food was worse now, only once a day, basically a starvation diet with very little water, which was even worse than the hunger. They continued to beat him and then question him, but as often as not, he fell back on his junior rank and claimed ignorance. This wasn't too hard as he was the only lieutenant they had captured and most of the pilots they held were captains or above. He revealed that he was an A-10 pilot but since he'd landed right next to his wreckage that was pretty obvious. He didn't know when the ground war was going to start. He said that that decision was going to be up to the president but they got very angry and didn't believe him. They claimed to have shot President Bush and wounded the First Lady, but Sweet wasn't taken in by their lies. He replied by saying, that was very sad, but now Dan Quayle would be in charge, and he was likely to use nuclear weapons. He could never be openly rude, because they would beat the hell out of him, but he did what he could to keep his spirits up. They liked to hit his head with a cupped hand until eventually they burst his eardrum. When he blew his nose later, he found that snot and mucus was coming out of the damaged ear. During one interrogation, he had surgical tape put over his eyes and handcuffed very tight while they beat his legs with a rubber pipe. They stayed away from his face after the first few videos that they took of people like the RAF tornado crew, John Peters and John Nickel, backfired. Their obvious injuries had created such an uproar around the world, highlighting the awful treatment that downed airmen were being subjected to, that they shied away from it. Being held alone in a dark room for so long led to some strange hallucinations, particularly when Sweet thought his own cat had walked into his cell and it took mental discipline to stay away from such things. 
By now, he could only sleep on one side because of a particularly bad beating with a rubber hose. The trick questions and psychological propaganda that they fed Sweet seemed pretty easy to work out. Then the Biltmore was bombed, so they were moved to the Bathurst Party headquarters, which was another strategic target, and he was in there when that was bombed as well. It was a horrifying experience. They were on the third floor, and bombs were coming in through the roof and blowing up in the basement. He was in a tiny, solid cell with a small slit window at the top. A bomb went off nearby, which knocked dust and plaster into his precious water. He was a bit annoyed, until a second bomb exploded, which concussed him and knocked him completely across the cell, and the whole ceiling fell down onto his legs. Inexplicably, he was left almost uninjured, and he managed to crawl into the corner of his cell to shelter under his thin blanket. Two more bombs hit, and the air was so thick with dust and cordite fumes he could hardly breathe. Everyone was yelling to each other through their damaged doors and walls. Somebody was asking who was bombing them, and a British voice dryly replied, It's the bloody Americans, so I'm sitting here with my bowl on my head. They were taken to another prison, a civilian place, and locked in all the Americans together. This was when Sweet found out that his flight lead had also been shot down and killed. It was a real low point for him, knowing that his friend had died. This place was where everyone got ill from the food and water. They were only there four days until they heard small arms shooting outside, which was apparently because the war was over and they thought they'd won. Sweet got an RAF roommate with a broken leg, but now the attitude of their captors was starting to change, and they began to try to make the prisoners look smarter, shaving them and giving them access to a medic. Then, remarkably, they moved them into a four-star hotel. There was no power, but they were in their own rooms, and a lady from the International Red Cross was there to advise them that they were going to be repatriated. Sweet had been living on pure adrenaline for 20 days, and now he was eating chocolate and in a hot bath. When he tried to get out of the black water, what he had been through suddenly hit him, and he couldn't even stand. He crawled out on his hands and knees. The very next day, they flew them out. Sweet ended up in a hospital ship, where the first thing he did was phone home, and he got an answering machine. They were actually there, but were screening their calls, and at last he was able to give his loving family the news that he was alive. It came as an enormous relief, as the whole time he had been posted as missing in action, so his family had no idea if he was dead or alive. Of the six A-10s shot down during the war, two were on Sweet's mission. As he said, it was a trying experience, but you're pretty much along for the ride. When he returned to his unit, he discovered that Captain Phyllis, in an attempt to take attention away from Sweet, had been trying to draw away enemy fire when he was shot down. Phyllis was killed in action, 
and was posthumously awarded the Silver Star. Over the years, Sweet admits to suffering some problems like survivor's guilt, something that took him a long time to overcome. Lieutenant Colonel Rob Sweet, after a 33-year career flying the Warthog, completed his final flight only a few days ago on the 5th of June 2021 at Moody Air Force Base, Georgia. As he climbed out of the aircraft, he was met with a shower of champagne. I don't regret going over there, fighting and getting shot down, Sweet said. That's what I took an oath to do. The Air Force Chief of Staff, General Charles Brown, said, With your retirement, it will be the first time in the history of our Air Force that we will not have a former POW serving. Thank you for all that you've done. Wow, what a story. And what what a brave, courageous person he is. Absolutely. Uh, uh, again, my thanks to uh, Jonathan Keeling for uh, giving us uh, the link to the original article from which I was able to then get more information about uh, um, Lieutenant Colonel Sweet and his remarkable career in the A-10. Uh, I mean, putting aside his time as a POW, um, 33 years of flying uh, that one airplane, you would have got, you know, you know it like the back of your hand. And I have no doubt he was a fearsome operator of that remarkable machine. But that period of uh, his life, it was only 20 days, but, you know, I, I feel that'll be the one thing that he will never, ever be able to uh, forget, uh, that, that period of, of dreadful treatment he received at the hands of the Iraqis. So, uh, yeah. An amazing story. Um, I, I don't know whether it's a good thing or not that the United States Air Force no longer has a serving member who was a POW. My personal view is it's a great thing uh, because, you, you know, you, it, it must be awful, and particularly in some of the countries where U.S. servicemen have had to uh, fight. Um, the treatment of uh, downed uh, pilots has been a appalling uh iraq and vietnam immediately come to mind but korea was pretty dreadful as well so um yeah i think the fact that uh you know you managed to keep all your all your troops uh, all your airmen safe is is a fantastic tribute but uh despite that um i i, I love the story i i think um sweet's really honest um description of how how he coped and what he went through um, is, is great. Uh, I, I listened in Maine to an interview he did with a marvellous organisation uh, who are just devoted to getting the stories of um, uh, American POWs uh, and r recording them, documenting them. Uh, and he was, he gave his interview in such an understated uh, and um, uh, there's a word I'm looking for which hasn't quite come to my mind, but uh, um, an understated and uh, he, uh, he showed a lot of humility. Um, uh, you know, you, you just can't help but admire the chap for his resilience. Um, 
uh, not just him, but of course there were lots of other um, Allied uh, troops, ground troops, uh, SAS, uh, American Special Forces, um, uh, other troops who were uh, ladies. Um, you know, uh, there were some female pilots uh, captured as well who, who suffered uh, and came out of it the other side, um, you know, having, you know, done, done a... <laughs> Very hard to say he'd do a good job as a POW, but they certainly didn't let the side down uh, uh, when they went through what they did. So I, I, I thought it was a lovely story to be able to tell. So thanks very much indeed, uh, Jonathan. Yeah, Austin in our live audience says, this is why we do SEER training. It's unpleasant, but it'll save your life. So true. Yeah, it, it will give you a taste of, of what it's yeah. going to be like. So you've sort of got it straight in your head, what's going to happen. But I don't think anything no. replaces the real thing. No, I mean, I don't, <laughs> yeah, for many reasons why they couldn't do the, you know, something that approaches the actual experience you're going to have. Because they basically, everybody would leave the uh, armed forces. <laughs> well, uh, you, probably probably fly. Uh, like, you know, I reconsidered. Yeah, I don't think so. No, Not for me. Guys, good luck. A very close friend of mine uh, underwent our equivalent of uh, that uh, resistance to interrogation training um, a, and a long period uh, of um, being subjected to the sort of techniques that were likely to be, he was likely to be... Um, put under mm -hmm. and uh he, he said uh they did keep you for a while afterwards to see uh make sure that you were you know completely right in your head um but he said uh he was on his train journey back home after that and uh he really did um f feel uh on a very strange um, disassociation with what was going on around him and he realised he was having sort of mini flashbacks to what he'd just undergone and he said it was very disconcerting, hugely disconcerting and he said it didn't just take him days to get over it, it took him months and, it, and he felt he didn't say anything because he felt sure he'd be taken off operations mm -hmm. uh, if he mentioned it. But, uh, you know, even a short exposure can have a significant effect on the rest of your life. Yeah. Wow. Again, great story and definitely a sweet retirement. Now, you know, Nick, when I saw the title of your plane tale, I really thought that um, it was going to be a story about airplanes and their retirements. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I should prepare a little slideshow for everybody to see all of the airplanes that I've flown that have been retired. <laughs> <laughs> and so, because well, I actually, went to that's a damn good, that's a damn good idea for a plane tower. This so, is a good idea. So here you go. I, uh, so here's the sneak oh, preview here's of, little, of Nick's forthcoming plane tale yeah. about aircraft that they've so, flown that have been retired. And, and, and Liz, get ready to do the, uh, the, uh, the Reaper, the Grim Reaper. Um, uh, overlay. <laughs> so uh, the Got first, it. the first one uh, that has been retired that I've flown with the T thirty seven, the Tweet, made by Cessna. Then we have our uh, the Lizard, the C one forty one B Starlifter, and uh, the Camo. Good at those it narrow does, it jets. Does look I mean, like a lizard. Mm -hmm. They're just pure jets, aren't they? There's no yeah, there barely any bypass. Low bypass uh, turbofans. Yes, for sure. Yeah. 
And uh, but it, you know, it was. I think each one was like twenty two thousand five hundred pounds of uh, thrust. You know, that's just a little sad, Jeff. I know. Well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say it, but I'm glad you said it before I did. It's think. kind of embarrassing. It's kind of embarrassing, really. <laughs> well, yeah. they were stronger and more powerful than the engines on this thing. Uh, this thing had uh, the JT-8Ds on it, uh, the 727-200. This is an Iberia livery. And here's one in an, an airline that is uh, very similar to Acme Airlines. Uh, the their shutter shuttle your main competitor I yes think. our main competitor or our main competitor so that was that's uh, retired at least for the company for which I was flying at the time and uh, here's another one uh, probably my favorite airplane the uh, Lockheed TriStar L ten eleven TriStar in uh, again uh, Delta's colors and uh, then of course most recently the uh, the Mad Dog uh, MD eighty eight MD ninety this happens to be the eighty eight and uh, yeah. So, uh, quite a few uh, airplanes that I have flown in my. I, I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Take have you flown a? Has there been an aircraft that you've flown professionally that has not been retired, other than the one that you are currently flying? T thirty eight. Okay, fair enough. But I don't know if I, I you could say that that was professionally <laughs> flown. <laughs> I was a student in pilot training, so uh, some people would argue that uh, I did not fly that. Oh, so Liz, thank you. <laughs> no, you're you're being paid even as a student. So, uh, well, that's true. Yeah, you're I was a professional being paid. pilot. Okay, yeah. So the the Grim Reaper, the the what 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 do we call that? The airplane Reaper. Uh, that's what I am. Anytime I fly something, that means <laughs> it's not going to be around for much longer. Sorry, 717. Yeah, well, that's so true, too. All right, there we go. Um, Liz, how much time do we have? Uh... Well, you're, we're over the two-hour mark now. Oh, we are. By a couple oh. of minutes, but yeah. Okay. That's okay. That's it. Well, that on. means that it's now time for us to say goodbye to Captain Nick, because we're going to play the segment that I recorded yesterday with the Miami Rick. So, mm-hmm. um, Nick, you want to say goodbye to everybody? And you can go to bed? Yeah, get lost. <laughs> oh, that was very nice. Very nice. <laughs> sorry, sorry. So eloquent. Uh, have have a lovely evening. In, enjoy the dulcet tones of that old uh, Boeing pilot. And um, I look forward to seeing you uh, on the next show. And uh, you two have a lovely meal together. Don't let it get cold. Yes, oh, sir. no, we've already consumed Yeah, we most pretty of much it. eaten most of it <laughs> while we were listening to your plane. Trip. Yes. Yes. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Well, I uh, look forward to it. Lovely show. And thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Good night, Nick. Nick. Good night. See you. All right. So now it's time for that segment that we did uh, yesterday with Miami Rick. And I need to do this and share a video file. And we had fun, we, as, you'll, as you'll see. So here we go, especially the very first part of it, trying to get this whole thing started. I left it in for your... Are you going to fix it later in post? No, I probably won't. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. We, through the magic of podcasting, are fortunate at that. We. (laughs) Crap. Uh, uh, Thanks to the mod. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to the magic of podcasting, we. Have someone with us from his hotel studio in Big D Little World Traveler, Airplane Mechanic, Brightling Cognoscenti, Fitness Hound, and International Air Freight Captain, 
It's Miami Rick. Hey, how's everybody doing? That was quite the uh, quite the mouthful there. It was. So, but we got uh, we got this jet off the ground. That's what matters. Yeah. It took took a few attempts, but third time's a charm. <laughs> All right. So, hey, Rick. Um, yeah, because of uh, scheduling uh, difficulties and issues, uh, we couldn't get you to uh, join us for the live recording of uh, 477. And so I thought, yeah, this is the next best thing. We'll just do a little mini segment and cover um, a couple of news items and a couple of feedback items, get caught up with what you have been up to since the uh, last time that we saw you on the APG. And uh, that'll work out great. What do you think? No, absolutely. And it's, it's, you know, it's, this is a little bit of a, you know, behind the scenes as well, because it's a, uh, a lot of planning goes into putting these shows together. Not only, you know, the, 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 the actual recording and the editing and all that, but actually, but, uh, getting everyone on the same kind of page as far as schedules and, you know, and, and all that and time zones. And so it's, uh, it's, it's not easy. And so, and, uh, yeah, I said uh, that, uh, that's really the, one of the hardest, if not the hardest thing about doing the show mm-hmm. is trying to get everybody together at the same time. Yeah. Scheduling is absolutely not right. easy. In fact, that's one nope, of the first nope. things that we start uh, talking about after we end our broadcast every week. Um, Liz goes, "Okay, everybody, <laughs> what what is your schedule like next week? How are, you know when are we going to do this thing?" And uh, yeah, and then we try to knock that out as best we can. And sometimes yeah. you know we nail it, and then other times we have to kind of do the best we can. So yes, sir. But Four here busy we are. People. That's the important thing. All right. Well. Uh, let's start right off with, uh, some news and we don't need to do the news sounder because we, I think we've probably already done that in the show earlier. So, um, I believe so. Yeah. So let's, uh, go over to, um, item number one, a in the news. And this is is the beginning of everything. One a yes. One a. And it's a report from the AviationSafety.net, uh, Aviation Safety Network. And let's see, a Cessna 680 Citation Sovereign LV, or maybe that's a 15. I don't know if that's a Roman numeral uh, or not. That's, uh, that'd be 15, yeah. Okay. Oh, wait, no, L is, L, is, L is 50. Oh, 55. And 5 is 5, so 55. Okay. I mean, if that's even what they're doing with the uh, letters, if they're doing Roman numerals or if it's just LV, maybe that stands for a Citation Sovereign Las Vegas model. I don't know. Um, (laughs) I'm going with that. Okay. (laughs) Well, they made a belly landing. Uh, The crew silenced the oral alarms of the TAWS, T-A-W-S, in order to avoid such alarms. Hmm. Good idea. How'd that work out for you? Don't think, um, don't think so. Liz says, how did that work I out for you? I don't think them? so. <laughs> okay. The uh, Cessna 680 Citation Sovereign took off from San Fernando International Airport bound for the private, uh-oh, help me out, Rick. Agrapecuan, Cuadrario, Rio, Of course. Of course, this thing just, uh, here we go. Because uh, I'm my Evernet here. Let me see here. Uh, it went from... Uh, Agropecuaria Rio Juramento airstrip. Uh, exactly the way I just did. Gonzalez. Perfect, Jeff. You're perfect. <laughs> and they made a stop over at the Salta Airport. So okay. Like yeah. Oh, Why don't you yeah. keep keep going there? You're doing a great job. <laughs> All right. So as here, uh, the, air- <laughs> the aircraft took off from Salta at uh, 12, 15 hours local time. And after 15 minutes of flight with the runway in sight, the crew silenced the oral alarms of the toss. 
in order to avoid such alarm since the aerodrome was not registered in the aircraft navigation database. In the final landing phase, the crew observed a flock of medium-sized birds that diverted their attention. That, yeah, that'll, that'll get you. Yeah. That'll definitely get you. Close to touchdown after checking instrument readings and speed, the crew sensed that the aircraft continued uh, to descend without making contact with the runway at the altitude it normally did. Yeah. That's, I think I must that's, mean that's attitude, not, don't you think? Yeah, that's that's not good. That's, that would yeah. catch me by surprise. While the aircraft was making contact with the runway, the commander and the non-flying pilot roll lowered the landing gear lever. That'll work. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> hey, we got you know quick. <laughs> it was unable to complete nobody the extension. <laughs> the, yeah, listen, the aircraft, nobody will notice. <laughs> nope, no one will ever know. No, the the aircraft decelerated rapidly, and I, that's, that's me saying that on the fuselage <laughs> for 500 meters over the runway, and then exited the runway to the left. Mm. With the aircraft stopped, evacuation took place. The passengers and crew were uninjured. The accident occurred during daylight and in good weather conditions. Uh, should we continue on to the probable causes here? Yes, sir. All right, so it says here, conclusions regarding factors related to the accident. It says here, prior to takeoff, the cockpit speaker mute function was activated, which was only enabled on the pilot and co-pilot headsets. All warnings and terrain proximity system audios were muted. The crew removed their headsets during the final approach phase. That's oh, would you do that? I don't the know. Presence of bir- yeah, the presence of birds during final landing could have been a distracting factor in one of the most critical phases of the flight. I think this is a big one here. Procedural checklists were not used. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the uh, the, the the one that uh, I guess put the uh, the, the final <laughs> most obvious the thing. <laughs> I don't, you know, the yeah. landing gear was not what's not extended. Right. They were doing piloting light. Yeah. Um. Uh-huh. Yeah. This is. I don't know. I mean, it's this is this is why we have checklists, and I've I've. I've never flown um, smaller type airplanes. Um, I've never flown BizAF. I've never flown uh, private jets, none of that stuff. But, you know, systems work basically the same. You have um, on uh, the jets that I've flown, uh, all Boeings, thank goodness, um, the landing gear um, warning activates under very specific um, conditions, one of them being that if you're below 800 feet radio altitude and you have the thrust lever at idle, either thrust levers uh, at idle, you'll get uh, uh, an oral warning um, through the, uh, not only the, 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 well, only the speakers, the the, the Mm -hmm. cockpit speakers. Obviously, the way to silence that is by putting the landing gear down. Uh, But you you hope it doesn't get to that point because if you're 800 feet off the ground and you don't have the landing gear down, first, you just flew through your um, stabilized uh, approach gateway Mm because it's usually 1,000 feet. It used to be 500 feet for visual approaches and 1,000 feet for instrument approaches. But now, I think just about every airline out there and every operator out there has, has brought up that, uh, that that up to about 1,000, a, a right? Yeah, I think most most airlines have, yeah. I, I believe so. So if, if you if you get to 800 feet and uh, you don't have the gear down, then obviously you're going to be unstabilized. On, on these larger airplanes, the gear takes about 300 feet to come down. Mm-hmm. So that would put you at 500 feet. And then uh, you'd still have to go to landing flap, which takes about another 50 to 100 feet. So you would certainly blow through the 500-foot gate as well. Um, and, the, and, and really, the, the, the way to mitigate all this is by, by um, you know, following a checklist and being methodical about that. Now, obviously, landing in an airplane in a, at an airport that doesn't, uh, that's not contained in a, uh, in a navigational database has its own um, 
the, the challenges in that you have to um, tell the navigation system where the airport is, and you kind of have to build an approach based on the lat long of the field. And not only that, but on these newer type airplanes where the pressurization system is tied to the uh, airport uh, being in the database, because part of one, one of the one of the um, uh, I guess important pieces of information about airports contained in the in, in, in the database is the airport elevation. And uh, on these airplane uh, airplanes, newer type airplanes that have an automatic pressurization system, you know, you no longer need you know Jim in the third seat back there. You know, the engineer working out the uh, the, the cabin altitude. The airplane knows when to begin depressurizing the airplane at what rate to do it and if you don't have the airport in the database then you have to go through a supplemental procedure to kind of you know do that semi-automatically these guys um, that, are not into uh, procedures i don't know what the what how they do that here yeah um and then on top of that you had the birds so it was i think it was like a kind of like a kind of a a high workload type situation mm-hmm. and then you had the birds at the end and then they're not, not, not use the checklist. It's just kind of, it just it just goes with you know. It's never just one thing. It's always a chain of events mm-hmm. that if you let progress to a point, you know things things start to go south. And if you let it, it just happens. Now I I tried to get some more detail uh, regarding this whole thing by reading the uh, accident report, and uh, so I I downloaded it and uh, but I had a little trouble reading it because it was uh, mostly in Spanish. Yeah. Oh, Simon so, would be unhappy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, but it wasn't on Simon's website uh, list. No, I know. I know. <laughs> but if it had been, oh yeah, sure, he would have said something. Uh, but uh, there, there were a couple places where there was some English, and I think it was mainly because they were quoting out of uh, some of the citation um, uh, manual, uh, and it was mm-hmm. that's written in English, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, there was some reason uh, they, uh, let's see, the, prior to takeoff, the cockpit speaker mute function was activated, which was only un- enabled on the pilot and co-pilot. So they, it was a- allowed to do that. They could mute the cockpit speaker, but it's it still comes through the cockpit headset. So they would have had this, this warning about the gear. However, uh, the odd one for me is the crew removed their headsets during the final approach phase. It, it doesn't say why. Why would you remove your headsets during the final approach phase? That's that's weird because if you if so if you can mute the cockpit speakers, but you can't mute whatever's coming through your through your headset. So you you, you get the oral warning through your headsets. As Maybe well? is, that, is that what? I don't know. I, I, that's, I Maybe that's why they. Why. It was annoying <laughs> okay. Them, but, yeah. Because because on 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 just about any airplane out there, uh, you do have a gear override switch and a flap override switch mm-hmm. and a terrain override switch, which are used um, in um, under you know ba- very specific conditions as part of a non-normal procedure, mm-hmm. which you're supposed to actually. Because you know, oftentimes, say for example, you you land single engine. When you land single engine, you don't use your normal flap uh, landing setting, 25 mm-hmm. or 30 on bones. Usually, you land with flaps 20. Okay. But if you go below a certain altitude with flaps 20 and you, and uh, and the gear down, you're going to get an uh, an alert telling you, hey, yeah, dummy, you don't have landing you don't have your landing flap. Yeah. Exactly. So you have to actuate your you know flap override switch. So, right. Um, but it's kind of weird that you would only get that uh, that you would get that both in your headsets and your and your uh, uh, I guess speakers. Um, I don't I, like I said I've never flown uh, Cessnas or Bizav uh, mm-hmm. type airplanes, and I'm, this this might be uh, airplane specific. But that that is my guess why they took the their uh, their cans off. Maybe okay. Well, yeah. So it was it was not a good thing, and they had that distraction at at the end with a medium sized 
flock of birds and or a flock of medium birds. I don't know. Um, they don't have any measurements here about the size of the birds. But uh, anyway, mm-hmm. um, that that would definitely be a, dis- a distraction. But uh, yeah, not good. You know, and the of course, probably one of the most critical things which you pointed out, Rick, is that procedural checklists were not used. Well, that's always a recipe for disaster. There, there's a reason why we have these procedural head, uh, checklists. Exactly right. I've, I, I, it's, I think it's interesting here how you look at the picture. Because I, I, I kind of went through this report as well. It's not that long. It's only like 20-something pages. Yeah, 29 yeah. pages. And um, at the very end, the they, they conclude that, yeah, the, obviously the reason why this happened is because they didn't put the gear down as um, we've been, been talking about because it didn't follow the checklist. And I thought, I, I thought it was interesting how – they uh, covered the engines up because of the so you go down to the uh, part of the report 1.3 there which says daños en la aeronave which means uh, damage to the aircraft and uh, mm-hmm. there's basically no no damage to the engines whatsoever so i guess they were able to i guess salvage those and i don't know if they um, yeah i don't know if they're able to i'm sure they're going to be able to just i guess you know fix this thing up and fly it back out yeah i, I don't know but i guess we'll see but uh interesting, interesting. yeah yeah, we thought that was an interesting one. Um, a cautionary tale. A cautionary tale, Liz adds. Um, let's go to one uh, C, which is uh, an accident that occurred um, on March twenty first of twenty twenty, so last little over a year ago. Uh, let's see, an American seven fifty seven two hundred registration November one nine three Alpha November. Performing flight uh, 2341 from Miami, Florida to Las Vegas with 50 passengers and eight crew landed on Las Vegas's runway 26 left at a little after midnight, about midnight 30 local time, but struck its tail on the runway surface. The aircraft rolled out without further incident. The FAA reported the date and time of the occurrence. Well, the, that this part doesn't matter. Uh, according to the FAA, the aircraft received substantial damage when it experienced a tail strike on landing. Uh, this occurrence was rated an accident. I guess it must have met the threshold for the amount of money it's going to, or the damage and the money it's going to cost to fix it. Um, a number of 15 flights minute mark. Uh, assigned to the aircraft were canceled in the following days. On the 25th of March, uh, the aircraft was positioned from Las Vegas to Roswell, New Mexico, cruising at a maximum of flight level 250, maybe because of uh, the fact that the pressure bulkhead had been had been uh, uh, breached. And uh, that's, that's weird, though. I mean, 25 is coming. You're still pressurizing at 25. So if, uh, yeah, that's true. You know, so yeah, that is odd. Yeah, I don't know why. You know, if it was completely unpressurized, then they would have been at 10. Ten. No and, more than no more than 11. And Ve- yeah. Las Vegas to Roswell, New Mexico, is not that long of a flight is it it's pretty close they could yeah, have I wonder what the, uh, what the is, is there is there terrain out there like the msa oh, yeah. to get from one place to the other probably is yeah no uh let's see so on the the reason why we're talking about this right now is on the 9th of oh by the way uh they said that uh they they moved it to roswell new mexico for storage uh, as an editorial note, other American Boeing 757-200s were also positioned to Roswell in the following days, obviously for long-term parking. So it's hard to discern whether or not um, they they put it there for like long, long, long-term park, parking, like forever, or just to put it somewhere until the pandemic 
was over. But uh, anyway, on the 9th of June uh, of this year, 2021, the NTSB released their final report concluding the probable cause of the accident was excessive pitch attitude at touchdown due to staffing issues related to COVID-19 Las Vegas tower and Tracon were at ATC zero. Okay. So everybody left the tower. Nobody was an uncontrolled airport basically. And the arrival was handled by Los Angeles air route traffic control center. Okay. So they were with uh, LA center for the arrival. Captain was a flying pilot. First officer was monitoring according to the flight crew. The flight was cleared for a visual approach. They monitored the ILS 26 left as a backup, which is what we usually do, have some kind of an underlying approach as a backup when we're doing a visual. The flight crew reported that the winds were 040 degrees at 8 knots, a little a slight tailwind. Visibility was greater than 10 miles and a thin layer of broken clouds at 17,000 feet. The captain conducted an approach briefing and the first officer conducted a landing distance assessment to account for the slight tailwind. That's good. The first officer reported the approach was normal and stabilized, and they encountered a slight downdraft in the flare. The captain disconnected the autopilot at about 400 feet above the ground and the autothrottle system at 200 feet. Flight data recorded data indicated that the pitch attitude was about 7 degrees at touchdown, but as the ground spoilers deployed, pitch attitude increased to 10.9 degrees. There was a 3 to 5 knot crosswind at touchdown. Post-flight inspection of the airplane indicated the underside of the rear fuselage struck the runway, resulting in damage to the skin, frames, and aft pressure bulkhead. Uh, so, you know, the weather was not bad. Slight tailwind. Uh, seems like the, um, you know, seven degrees at touchdown is is kind of high, but as long as you don't let it go more than that, right, Nick? Uh, I mean, Rick, yeah, the, that should be fine. Uh, yeah, and so the, so the, the, the 7.5 and the 7.6 are very similar in the way they they well kind of similar in the way they they land mm-hmm. um so the position of the of the um spoiler panels along the core of the wing have a huge impact on um a very very noticeable pitch up a moment okay when the panels deploy and so if you are already kind of behind the power curve um because clearly your 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 normal um Touchdown attitude on seven sixes and well, two hundreds is different from three hundreds and seven fives are slightly different as well. But you know, generally, you know, uh-huh. you're you're coming in at about uh, two and a half degrees, three degrees, and then when you when you when you flare to touchdown, you're only coming up a degree, a degree and a half, two degrees top. So that puts it about five degrees. So seven right. degrees is a little high, which yeah. tells me that um, they may have let some of that airspeed. Um, prior to touchdown, mm-hmm. and so they are already behind the power curve. They were already behind you know, below rev speed, um, and uh, instead of um, again, I wasn't there, not casting yeah. aspersions. I'm not saying the guys are you know, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. just just instead of instead of arresting that descent rate with a little bit of power, I guess the 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 um, uh, reflex initial reflex was to bring the nose back, uh, which would put you even lower. Uh, you know, even more behind the power curve there. And so as the airplane touched down and the spoiler panels deploy, uh, that puts you, that gives you that nose up moment and you, you are already at seven degrees pitch. And so it just takes a fraction of a second for the spoiler panels, uh, panels to pop and then the, the, the tail to, to, to scrape. And then and that's the, the reason why a lot of these uh, seven, six, seven, three hundreds have these, uh, these uh, fuselage issues, these slap down rate issues, because mm-hmm. 
Um, you will, you know, you get you get a little slow on approach. The panels come up, uh, spoilers come up, and then uh, you are. Um, in order for you to try to counteract that, you, you actually introduce an, a, a nose down input into the yoke, and then the nose slaps <laughs> down, and then you get the fuselage breakage. Yeah, so. yeah, you slap the uh, nose gear down and do damage to that. Exactly right. So um, the the I guess the moral of the story here is um, disconnect what I what I always done, and what's on the book here on the flat crew training manual. It says when you disconnect the autopilot disconnect the auto throttle as well because mm-hmm. the auto throttle if you leave the auto if you disconnect the autopilot but you leave the auto throttle on remember that the auto throttle is keeping your selected speed whatever speed you have up in the mode control panel and the amount of power required to keep that speed dialed in depends on the pitch that you have because mm-hmm. if you go faster you know you, you pitch down you're going to go faster the auto throttle is going to come back Conversely, if you pitch back and you go slower, the auto throttle is going to go up. And so they're kind of at a, at a point, at, the, at a very, very short, short final, you are really flying, uh, you know, kind of a, a non-speed AOA type thing. Like you're coming into a carrier where you control your descent rate with power and your speed with pitch. Mm-hmm. And if you have your auto throttle on, then it's kind of working against you. And you disconnected that at 200 feet. So maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah. Um, uh, moral of the story Disconnect them both and just, you know, just fly VREF plus five or whatever your additive is until the until the flare, bleed that off and touch that ref and you'll be out of the woods. So weird thing on the uh on the uh eighty eight and ninety, it's exactly what we did. You know, you uh, when we were hand flying, we you know, turned the throttles You didn't have to, but then there was a certain there was a certain altitude where they were required to uh be disconnected unless you were doing an auto land. Of course you had to have the whole thing connected for that. Uh, but on the 717, uh, it's uh, pretty much normal policy on the jet. I mean, you don't have to, but almost everybody does this and leaves the auto throttles connected. Um, but you're right. It's kind of weird because sometimes you get in this little tug of war with the uh, throttles. You know, you it, it starts adding power, which makes you get up a little bit too high. And then you bring the nose back down, the power, com- you know, sometimes it's just easier to just disconnect those as well. And you know, and that way you're, you're working the final portion of your, of your, uh, right before the flare and landing. Um, and you, and you know what is going to happen with the, with the power, because you're the one controlling it, not the auto throttle. Exactly. System. Right. So, yeah. And, and, and so on the, on the triple seven, it flew the triple seven was a little, it was, it was kind of like the seven one seven because, um, you would, um, you know, a lot of people uh, would leave the auto throttle on and mm-hmm. the system, uh, automatically brings the thrust back to idle as if you were flying a, an auto land procedure and you disconnect the auto throttle when you engage, um, select reverse thrust. It's not the case in the seven five and seven six. Uh, the only time that the thrust will come back to idle is when you are doing a uh, an auto land, right? So a triple channel auto land. So um, if if you're going to do a you know cat one, it's just manual landing, disconnect one, disconnect the other, and then uh, you know keep yourself out of trouble. Very good. All right. Well, a shame and it happens. Um, yeah. It's um, and who knows really whether or not uh, this is going to be an airplane that they're going to end up repairing and flying again or not so yeah and then again as i said just once again just i don't know what happened i'm not casting aspersions and just mm-hmm. know, we're just you know, you know talking about what happened here and uh, right. glad that uh, nobody was hurt yeah me too all right well that's it for our little 
segment within a segment, our news segment. And now is a good time to kind of talk with Rick and see what he has been up to since the last time he was with us on APG. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a little while, um, but uh, so I did my last uh, batch of uh, out and backs to Hawaii, and um, I'd go uh, to my uh, usual place there for dinner, and the lady'd be like, "It's, it's you again." Like, well, you tired of, <laughs> what? Tired of? Uh... Do you have a life? <laughs> <laughs> so that's really funny because I walk in and then she already knows what I want. She's like, "Same thing." Same do they, thing. Do they do like? Rick, like in uh, <laughs> Cheers, Norm. <laughs> hey, everybody knows your name, right? Right. So, <laughs> so that was that was nice. So, but uh, it's nice to get a little bit of a little bit of a you know variety in, in, in your flying. So, I did my last uh, my last uh, trip back to uh, Ontario from uh, Honolulu. Uh, I got in at something like uh, six. No, before that, five. 15 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning in Ontario. Obviously, go home day, right? So um, I had the company uh, rent me a car, and I just drove uh, from Ontario up to Shell Beach and uh, spent the week off with Kaya and uh, uh, her parents there and all the dogs and just kind of just relaxing, you know, just taking it easy. You know, we have um, uh, a new puppy, I think. I, 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 talk, I talked about this, a new uh, Belgian Malinois that we're working with. And so we took her took her down to the beach and uh, teaching her how to swim and all that. So it was, uh, you know, it was just just spending time, um, just disconnecting from, from aviation, which is it's just it's good. You know, every yeah. once in a while you just kind of have to, you know, just, you know, plug, plug yourself off and, you know, just recharge, I guess. Um, so after that, um, at the end of those, uh, days off, I, uh, drove back from, uh, Shell Beach, downtown Terry to begin this trip. So the idea was to, um, uh, record on the road from uh, Ontario <laughs> down to, uh, down uh, from, sorry, from, uh, Shell Beach down to Ontario. And, and, uh, yeah, that was, it was, it wouldn't have worked. It was just, uh, California traffic, uh, the one one then the two ten, and it's just, it was, fr- it was a Friday as well. And I, I had a brilliant idea of trying to beat the traffic in LA. That didn't work because there's always traffic in LA. So <laughs> I uh, finally, exactly. finally made it to, oh man. Finally made it to Ontario, returned the car, and then it was just time to go to bed because I had a, you know, an early go the following morning. Uh, flew from Ontario up to Rockford, uh, just uh, south of Chicago there, and then across to Stockton, and then uh, yesterday out of Stockton into uh, Fort Worth Alliance. And then uh, here I am, going to be on the road until the 24th, doing uh, this all over again. So tomorrow... I fly from here to it's a two-legger, so to, from here to Tampa, Tampa up to Rockford again, and then the following day Rockford, Ontario, and then I have a day off there, uh, and then I do it all over again, the same the same kind of loop, mm-hmm. uh, you know, finishing on the twenty fourth. So that's kind of what I've been up to. Uh, just I tell you, we have such a beautiful country. Just flying from from. from East Coast to West Coast, and just kind of flying during the daytime, which is a little off to me. You know, it's mm. funny. I, was, I, was, I I posted a picture on there and. Uh, Somebody said, uh, you know, that's a really bright moon. Yeah, it's got a. You know, I was like, well, it's actually the sun. You know, <laughs> that's make very fun bright. of me because I'm supposed to be a fraid dog over here, which I am at heart. But uh, and I, I do prefer the flying at night. But uh, yeah. just getting to fly over, you know, during the daytime, looking outside and seeing this beautiful country of ours, it's just great. It is. Well, speaking of um, pictures and flying during the daylight, um, somebody yeah. 
happened to snap a couple of pictures of you landing at Fort Worth Alliance. Um, what yesterday, I guess. Or yeah, yesterday, today? yesterday evening. Uh, okay. Yesterday evening, it was uh, during gold during the golden hour, the magic hour. Yeah, we. I've I've tried to disguise the uh, aircraft. Just don't look at the tail, people. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's Rick. You can see if you zoom in, you can really. I can see Rick's uh, smiling face there. <laughs> you can see my. You can see my watch. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, here's another one. And uh, I, uh, I, 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 I. I just. Masterful. I just like. To, yeah. Masterful. For those. For those that are are on the on the on the audio podcast, I suggest uh, you know just. Uh, to just you know, pausing whatever it is that you're doing, you know, pull off the road for it to make it safe, and then look at the at the level of craftsmanship of hey, this of this. Uh, yeah, I am a master Photoshop guy. Not you are, you are. I think uh, you're giving Captain Nick a run for his money. I know. Here. Uh, I mean, it's seamless. So, uh, you can hardly even see where oh. I blocked out the uh, name of the of the yeah. airline that you're flying. <laughs> yeah, this must, that must have taken you weeks. Well, it actually so, took a few seconds right before we started yeah. recording. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, I'll commend you for your work. Oh, well, thank you, yes, sir. Uh, you know, I just have I have so much talent in so many different areas. <laughs> anyway, Amazing. I just thought it would be fun to show that. And uh, yeah, well, this one, I, yeah, I, no, I yeah, I just just one. On that one. <laughs> yeah, that one was great. I just did wanted to uh, to uh, thank uh, Lone Star Aviation Photography out here. He tried he tried to uh, come out and uh, get a picture of me uh, last time I came through here, but uh, as we know, as the year progresses and we get. Uh, closer and closer to the equinox the uh days get longer and so uh the so that my schedule time last time i came through here was the same but obviously the sun had set by then but uh, this time around this time around uh we got uh we got lucky so um i, I thank you thank you very much for that pictures just fantastic i, I retweeted you on there and uh people seem to really like it excellent all right well I guess that means that we can move on now to our little mini feedback segment. And uh, let's see, we were going to start with 13A, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here we go. Um, This is feedback from Tom. Tom Tom Seagraves. In Columbia, Missouri. He says, uh, maybe Rick, Miami Rick, has some insight on this Thing that he's linked to since Hawaii has been his jam in the very recent past. And this is from thedrive.com, the war zone. Um, and the uh, headline is Hawaii-based F-22s scrambled on FAA's request, but nobody will say why. And uh, the alert mission was described as an ir- irregular patrol with no indication of what prompted it. A pair of F-22 Raptors were launched on on an alert scramble out of Joint Base Pearl Harbor-Hickam on Sunday at around 4 p.m. local time. A third F-22 joined the mission about an hour after the pair's departure. A KC-135 was also launched to support the fighters. Uh, Hawaii News Now reports that the scramble, described as an irregular patrol, was initiated at the request of the FAA, which reported an incident Although nobody is providing any clear information in regard to what the catalyst for the prolonged scramble mission was. The 199th Fighter Squadron, a Hawaii Air National Guard unit that is part of the 154th Wing based at Hickam Air Force Base, provides the alert capability for the state with at least two jets equipped with full armament and wing tanks 
and they're always on standby to scramble along with at least one spare. Scrambling on request of the FAA is not uncommon. It happens for things like potential security situations aboard airliners or to provide eyes on to eyes on to stricken aircraft or even to investigate unidentified aircraft. You can hear just what this process is like in this past special feature of ours. Okay, I'll be out to watch or look at this article uh, that we'll have linked in the show notes if you want to check that out. Um, it says, what's odd here is that usually there's a fairly straightforward messaging regarding these events. Even when Russian bombers, fighters, surveillance aircraft approach U.S. shores, the U.S. military is usually open about the encounters. As to why this intercept is not being addressed clearly is somewhat puzzling, and there could be a national security issue involved uh, making issuing an immediate and detailed response problematic. This is likely the case based on a cryptic statement that the Star Advisor obtained. The Hickam-based, here's the uh, statement, the cryptic statement. The Hickam-based Air Force Command added that the FAA requested that U.S. Indo-Pacific Command conduct an irregular air patrol and the situation resolved, prompting the fighters in a KC-135 Stratotanker uh, to return to base. We cannot discuss further specifics of the situation. So, what did you do, Rick? What did you do that caused the FAA to scramble these fighters? Well, do you want I'm to talk not, about I'm it not, or not? I'm not. I'm not <laughs> at liberty to say. It. Okay. <laughs> Darn it! But uh, the the FAA did send a statement that says that uh, the FAA has a close re- working relationship with the military. That is from Mr. Uh, Ian Gregor. So uh, that's they're all, that's all they're willing to uh, to uh, that's it, to huh? say there. But uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. And uh, okay, know. no, but, but but seriously, I mean, I have I have no idea. I mean, we we see the uh, and you can hear that the twenty twos um, uh, over over Hawaii all the time, especially for Honolulu when 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 laying over there, you can hear them in the distance. They have a very very distinctive sound to them. Um, but uh, and obviously, you know the the strategic uh, value of um, of the islands and, and it's no secret that we you know Hickam's been there since the early 30s and obviously that's where Pearl Harbor happened and mm-hmm. you know there's a high density population area and all that so I don't know I mean it's I guess your guess is as good as, as, good as mine yeah so you don't know well Tom's going to be disappointed I'm sorry Tom yeah well but I'll let you know as soon as I find out right. all right get on it that's why you stopped yep. flying to Hawaii now. That's uh, Liz says that's why you stopped flying to Hawaii. <laughs> they took you <laughs> off that, that, that route. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't, they don't want me there anymore. It's like that rig guy, keep him the hell away. Yeah, Rockford and Tampa and, and uh, Stockton, Ontario. That's okay. But keep him yeah, away from Hawaii, Hawaii, please. Yeah, just right. keep him away. Yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. Uh, here's a good one. Um, this was sent in by Ryan as from the aviation Herald. It's an interesting one here with good video. One of the highest speed aborts I've seen. Uh, what are your thoughts crew on the risk benefit balance of rejecting takeoff during a bird strike near V1? Obviously rejecting takeoff on a wet runway at high speed carries some risk, but would a bird strike always be reason to abort? I think Ryan knows the answer to that. No, not always. You have to you have to analyze the situation very rapidly to determine whether or not a uh, and it, it depends on where it happens during the takeoff roll and we have some video as you mentioned uh, that I'm going to play here share on the uh, on the video and then we'll have it linked of course to uh, on our webpage for the show notes for those of you who are not um, 
not watching the video. And here we go. We're going to add the screen. Yeah, like slow down. Okay, it's rolling down the runway. 737. Where is this, Jeff? St. Vincent. Guys, I'm about to take off, Guys, I'm about to take off. What's that? It's an aborted takeoff, and I'm not sure why. And that man is correct. It is an aborted takeoff, and he's not sure why. So there was no wild speculation for this bystander, this witness. Uh, this was in uh, St. Vincent. Uh, it was an American Airlines Boeing 737-8 Max. Oh, there you go. That's why. It was a Max. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not reason. the reason why. Uh, November 339 Sierra Uniform performing flight 1427 from St. Vincent uh, to Miami was accelerating for takeoff from St. Vincent Argyle Airport's runway 22 when a flock of birds flew up and a number of bird strikes occurred. The crew rejected takeoff at high speed and were able to stop the aircraft before the end of the runway. Oh, you know what? I think I should probably play the, that uh, video again and, and let it go a little bit longer. I think that there's more to it. There might be a little bit of video toward the end. No, wait. No, I don't think this one had that video on the end. There is a video out there uh, from the passenger viewpoint uh, looking at the left wing and you can see. Yeah, uh, it's the, different. It's a different wind, uh, different uh, video. Okay. Different video. Oh, well, um, I'll try to get that uh, video linked up in our show notes so you can watch that. But there is a still that we have in our Evernote note uh, showing these uh, seagulls being dispersed. It looks like they're all seagulls to me uh, as they uh, are taking off here. And they're uh, maybe one or more got sucked into an engine. I don't know. It doesn't really tell us if they had any unusual engine parameters or anything else so it's, this is pretty much all we have at this point on this on this incident so what do you what do you think uh, rick do you think it was that it didn't look to me like a super high speed abort uh i'm not sure did you yeah, i mean it's it's kind of did you like you know, have your stopwatch nah, I mean, going to see how fast they were going at 20 <laughs> seconds 20, but you know yeah. so so the 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 uh at least in our FOM, the definition of a high speed aboard is anything above eighty knots. So anything mm-hmm. above eighty knots is is, is high speed. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, I I don't know. It's um, certainly in the certainly in the hundreds. You know, it's uh, must have been going. I don't I don't know how fast, but certainly above hundred knots uh, mm-hmm. to me. Uh, and okay. if you look at where the where the uh, aboard actually happened. Um, uh, so usually, what you do with these with these you know big powerful engines is you try to you know use as little thrust as possible and and, and use as much of the runway as possible uh, to get off the ground and obviously save fuel and noise and you know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, the place where this happened uh, tells me that uh, it was what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, high speed upward. Um, we're talking about a the, the most critical in my view face of the flight because that is you're close to the ground you're low energy um and that is and you are um that's when you're requiring the most amount of thrust out of the engines you know the most stress on the on on the on on the entire you know propulsion system and all that and so um what i've always done in these types of situations and what's on the book is uh, you call v1 which is your your decision speed go no go speed 
five knots prior to the actual V1 because there is a startle factor and there is a reaction time. Uh, remember, if you reject your uh, takeoff uh, after V1, then uh, you are not guaranteed uh, a stopping within the confines of the runway. Uh, you might have a 13, 14,000 foot long runway, which is not the case here. But V1 also takes into account uh, the ability of the brakes to absorb the energy required to stop the aircraft. Um, so it's not really, it's not only a runway length thing, it's, it's a variety of factors. Mm -hmm. um, what I do, um, particularly when I'm very, very heavy and the runway is very balanced, which means a, a balanced runway. Basically, what that means is that if you stop the takeoff, you reject the takeoff at V1, um, you will stop right at the end of the runway. If you have an engine failure at V1 and you and you uh, opt to continue with the takeoff, you will overfly the end of the runway at 30 feet if the runway was dry and at 15 feet if the runway was wet. So that's balanced field. So when I'm very, very close to that, very performance-limited takeoff, I'll actually take my hand off the throttles. I'll I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the speed, obviously, and the trend, and, and obviously my FO is calling uh, the, the, the decision speed and rotate speed and all that. But I'll actually take my hand off uh, the, the thrust uh, levers about 10 knots before V1. And uh, 10 knots par, <laughs> whatever happens, mm -hmm. we're going flying because, uh, you know, just the, the amount of energy that takes to stop that airplane. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, it's a right? Lot. So uh, these guys, these guys, these guys did a fantastic job, though. I think yeah. it was. Uh, I, I would have done the same. I would have stopped the airplane because it's. Uh, you know, you're you're on the ground. Clearly, the numbers are something that we you know evaluate and uh, calculate very very carefully. And if the numbers say that the plane can stop, then it stops. And mm -hmm. I've actually rejected a takeoff not because of an engine issue ever. It was a uh, back when I was an FO, uh, a captain forgot to lock his window. <laughs> And the window flew open on the takeoff run, and we rejected about 130 knots. And uh, I tell you, the air, the the, the brakes work. But wow. the idea is, you know, not 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 to get to that point. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think these guys did a great job. Yeah, yeah, above above 80 knots in our jet. Uh, basically, the only thing that we're supposed to stop for is uh, engine failure, uh, a fire, um, a, a, a wind shear. Um, caution or warning predictive wind shear caution or warning mm -hmm. uh or we just don't think the airplane's going to fly uh, but below 80 knots pretty much almost anything exactly we'll we'll, we'll just uh, abort for just to kind of check and that's out. exactly the briefing that we go through yeah so yeah. prior to v1 we'll reject from many master caution master warning edge of failure fire predictive wind shear of the aircraft and it'll have to fly so and in, in this case you, through, you know yeah. so like uh, so that Really, it, it, the, I guess the only one that it might apply to is you don't think it's going to fly because of whatever you just, you know, possibly sucked into the engine and with the bird strike. If you're above that 80 knots or whatever they use for high speed regime. Uh, yeah. And not only that, but you so you are you are slow enough where you think that you're going to that where you know that the airplane is going to stop. And then right. again, you're you're worried about stopping the aircraft. And if you if you elect to go, you don't know what's further ahead. Is there another flock of birds when you yeah. take off when you, you know, rotate the aircraft? There's is, is there a, you know, a flock of birds just above the runway? Remember, there was a I believe it was an E3 Sentry AWACS airplane that uh, crashed because it flew into a flock of birds right after rotation. Mm. And um, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, birds are, birds are, 
the bird might be the word, but uh, you don't want to fly <laughs> into them when you're uh, when you're taking off. So, no, uh, but you know, to be fair, I mean, it is their their world that we're flying our yeah, big metal birds in, right? Exactly, exactly. We're just uh, we're just uh, the idea is to, to be uh, to be neighborly here, and sometimes yeah. it's just uh, worlds collide. So. That's a great job. You know, I mentioned uh, one of the, one of the four big four, you know, for uh, aborting prior to V1 and after the, you know, when you're in the high speed regime, uh, one of those is uh, predictive uh, wind shear caution or warning yesterday while, um, pulling onto the runway in Atlanta, there was a pretty significant thunderstorm cell just to the North of the airport. But so we were 90 degrees, you know, we're just about to turn onto the runway. So we're pointed due North and, uh, the, the radar was on. And as we we're like advancing the throttles to kind of, to get the airplane onto the runway, the uh, predictive wind shear system was looking at the cell thinking that we're about to take off right there heading toward it. Right. And all of a sudden it goes, you know, wind shear, caution, wind shear ahead, wind shear ahead. Yeah, wind <laughs> like, shear ahead. yeah exactly. And, and, and so I just assumed because I'm looking out the window and, you know, lining up the airplane, I'm assuming that he was just then turning on the radar and then like just put it to the test position because that's what you hear when you're testing the, you know, the wind shear caution and warning, predictive wind shear caution and warning system. When you test the radar, it's one of the things you're testing for. And, uh, and he was kind of startled as well. And he goes, no, I, it, it, so we looked at the display and sure enough, it wasn't that test pattern that you normally see. It was like the real deal. It was going, no. Don't fly, you know, straight ahead because this is going to be a bad There's thing. There's there. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that's really funny. Now that you mentioned the the, the test uh, <laughs> the test pattern, that is it's the funniest thing. That is the biggest fail of your pre-flight. If you turn go to turn the radar <laughs> off, the, the, the radar on, mm-hmm. and, you, and you see the thing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it was funny cause I was, I was, uh, I was, um, uh, jump seating or, or I guess deadheading with, um, the captain that was doing is getting his uh, annual, uh, line check on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes to turn the radar on and there's a big test pattern on it. And, you know, obviously the checker, I'm sitting between the two is like, Hmm. Hmm. And he obviously <laughs> quickly went account. down and <laughs> <laughs> went down and put the, put exactly, exactly. Went down and put the, the, the radar selector on weather turbines where it's supposed to go. But yeah, uh, yeah it's the, you, you don't, you don't want to see that. Oopsies. You don't want to see that when <laughs> turning the radar on. <laughs> that never happens. I've never seen it ever happen. I just, ever. I've never, I've never done that. No, I've never done that. Never, <laughs> never. I've never uh, tr- transmitted to uh, air traffic control frequency in- on interphone. <laughs> no, me neither. Me neither. I mean, why Actually, are they not yeah. answering me? Oh, maybe I should go back to the other frequency and tell <laughs> I, them I got the. Radio. I love. <laughs> I love it when when you well I, I haven't done this in a long time because obviously I fly I fly boxes now. But back in the day, I remember uh, what this one guy was doing his, uh, his he did his entire PA on the guard frequency the twenty one five, and after he was done, it was like. That was a great PA. That was great. Everybody was just, you know, just pulling his leg. So, uh, yeah, it's never, these things are myths. They never happen. Yeah. It's never. Yeah. I think one of the longest PAs I ever gave, um, it was a good one because all the people that were listening on on the primary air traffic control frequency told me. I thought it was really good, <laughs> including oh, the man. including the air traffic controller and probably a dozen other pilots on that frequency. Went, oh man! Oh man! Yeah. Well, anyway, it happens to the best of yeah. us. 
That's right. All right. Last one we're going to cover here, Rick, is this next one, item 15. This is from Stefan. You know, the guy that tried to send me some gin and I screwed up and it got sent back to him, but he's sending it back to me again. Uh, and we mentioned that he, uh, or he sent in some feedback showing us all those stats in his logbook and more than just takeoffs and landings and well, not takeoffs, but landings and hours logged and all that kind of stuff, but all the other, uh, details. And, uh, we, we kind of poked fun at him a little bit, I think. Uh, well, he decided that he was going to send us some more audio feedback and explain himself. So, so right. he's got some explaining to do here. So let's go ahead and play this audio from Stefan. Hello, APG team. Hello, Captain Jeff. Hello, everybody. This is Stefan from Hamburg calling. Thanks for posting my statistic regarding flight logging on a recent episode. And I'd like to clear up some misunderstandings. First, why do I have such a detailed uh, statistic? Well, because some flight logs offer this feature. You can make a little um, uh, note here, a little, um, we call that Häkchen, I don't know the English name for that, and, you know, a little mark um, there, and you can add some numbers here, and you can put it all together in a statistic. I recently even posted an actual track statistic on Twitter. I maybe can attach it here to this uh, posting. But anyhow, I like to clarify um, my 26 go-rounds, which Captain Nick uh, says, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> so many go-rounds? Well, it's 26 go-rounds in, once again, 26 go-rounds counting since uh, 1989. That's when I start commercially flying. <laughs> it was and, over a week. Uh, so that's okay. 26 go-rounds in 8,302 flights. Wow. That means every 319th flight I did a go-round or not I my colleague did a go-round or when I was a FO my captain did a go-round that comes up to every a go-round every 670 flight hours um, actually the captains did three go-rounds in that period when I was a first officer uh, the remaining 23 23 grounds were done by me when I was a captain. Hmm. And most of those um, <laughs> grounds were done by, uh, well, not uh, fulfilling the stabilized approach criteria. Uh, that comes uh, together, well, I have to count that again, to uh, 13 grounds to, to unstabilized, which means we, we had uh, too much tailwind. There were gust there was even a one bounce landing that was very embarrassing because it was during my first line check mm. and also <laughs> since i was oh a trainer also that the uh, colleague next to me uh, was uh, inexperienced and it did a go around during training um eight grounds were done by or instructed by atc mostly because separation minimas they were not uh, fulfilled for example one um separation Minima was uh, busted by uh, um, by ATC, not busted, that's the wrong word, was uh, in London, I was flying behind a small uh, citation that he got sl so slow to uh, 90 knots ground speed or something uh, that I had to do it, did, did a go around behind that. Um, four grounds were done uh, by uh, weather because I was at minimum and I couldn't see the runway or it was a thunderstorm ahead. Uh, or even equipment failure at during a CAT-2 approach. Uh, radar altimeter failed, so I had to do a go-around. Um, 
turbulence were done because actually the runway was blocked right in front of me by a disabled aircraft or um, a disabled uh, airport because some, something went wrong there and so I had to send me away. Um, I don't know if that's much 26 ground in this uh, career. Um, I just did a logging on that. Maybe you have to ask my company if that is normal for my, um, for my company. Well, anyhow, most interesting is that if I mention the number 16 diversions, they say, oh, that's a bit, that's much. Um, the statistic on this one, I did 16 diversions, 7 or returns also, that I flew off maybe Frankfurt or returned to Frankfurt. Um, 16 of those, from those 16 diversions, 7 were done due to weather. Um, I couldn't land at the destination. Two were done by rerouting by the company. I, I remember one was a f two of them was a ferry flight, and while was we while we were en route, they sent us to another airport. Uh, two were by blocked airport. I mentioned that before. Uh, four were due to technical reasons, something break uh, during my flight, and I had to return. Uh, one was for medical reasons with the A380. I landed in Keflavik. Um, landings. Rick was wondering why I was doing so more, much more takeoffs than landings. Well, actually, you I got the numbers do. wrong. I had <laughs> 5,297 real landings, not simulated or nothing, uh, but yeah. only 3,828 on a jet. So this is a real, doing real operation, the landing I did. And I did four takeoffs um, more than landings uh, because maybe it was a country approach or something had to transfer controls due to various mm. reasons okay. um, uh, that could be so on, the sense. difference is only four um, regarding the passengers i was counting since 2009 when i was starting to count my passengers i got 230 239,942 passengers which sounds like a bit but in a short-range flight, you can collect during a day much more passengers than on a single flight on the A380. By the way, on the A380, in my five years, I had 114,360 passengers on board. I have a question for, uh, for Stefan. Uh, does it, do the passengers get irritated when you're like, or, or like you get distracted when they're coming on and you go, one, two, three, and then somebody clicker. asks you a question, a clicker. and then you go, okay. We're going to have to start this all over again. Yeah. yeah a little everybody clicker. get back. On, everybody get back on the plane. <laughs> everybody. Damn it. <laughs> we got to start over again. <laughs> Somebody right, distracted me. <laughs> Don't distract me. This is important stuff. Yeah. All right. And also I did special locking starting on the A380. Um, uh, in the five years I was flying it from November 15th till March 21. I collected uh, or I transported uh, 14,200 and 37 metric ton payloads. That's, I don't know if that's much or not much. A cargo guy like Rick probably will laugh about it. <laughs> but um, now comes nah. also the bad part because, you know, this is the environmental thing. We took off in those five years. I took off altogether with an with a amount of 32,723 tons, metric tons of fuel. And of those numbers, I used up 30,377 tons fuel I burned during the flight. Well, a lot of numbers, probably the quickest are going by right now. Enjoy um, your podcast, everybody, and uh, greetings from Hamburg, Germany. Bye-bye. Thank you, Stefan. I mean, this is really fascinating to me. Um, it is. It really is. It would be kind of interesting really to see is. what our stats would be if we took the time to, to actually log these things. 
That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm, and, and I know we're, we're kind of, you know, good heartedly here, right? You know, yeah, just, but, uh, but, but it's, uh, but it's, it's, it really is. It really is fascinating, and you just puts, it really puts things in, in perspective, and, um, and it's funny because I actually I had a go around. Uh, what was it? Uh, two, three weeks ago, going into uh, uh, Kona. Uh, yeah, we were we we're going into the ILS uh, to the North Runaway, and then um, usually what I'll do is right before, right after I select landing flap, and you know you, you reference what your 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 ref speed is plus whatever additive you have. I'll go to the progress page two, and that'll get on the on the CDU there, control display unit, and that'll give me what my actual crosswind factor is and tailwind or headwind factor is and i always uh, use that to, to, to reference what the what what the wind is right and so mm-hmm. very very short final the wind uh rotated um from a quartering uh headwind to a quartering uh tailwind and it went above the 10 knot limitation for us so mm. we had to go around you know so you just, you just go around the funny thing is that it was a it was my first officer's first ever actual go around on, oh. on on the on the seven six. He hadn't flown a go around. Well, he, I flew go around, but he'd actually never experienced a go around before. Right. And he said that it was very very different than the simulator. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt um, you know the kick in the pants that you get from those engines spooling up. Right. Um, it's, um, you know, it uh, it can it can it can surprise some people. And uh, but it was fun. You know, came back around, did the visual to the other side, landed no mm-hmm. problem. So cool. But I didn't keep track. I mean, I, I didn't add that to my tally. I guess. We even have some should, visual uh, aids that he sent in. Uh, and again, oh, look at that. have this in our show notes. If you're watching the video, I'm displaying it right now. Uh, these are uh, some uh, a visual depiction of his flight routes. And uh, I think I have another one here. I don't know if I have to hit this again. I think I do. Um, oh, wait. No, I I thought I was sharing it. I guess I wasn't. Okay, let me you try did. that again. Oh, it was it was being shared? Okay. Yeah, yeah I saw yeah. I saw it. Okay. Yeah. And let's see, here's the other one. I think this is a different one. Same colors, but look at that. Huge number of uh flights. So again, if you want to see the visual depiction of uh Stefan's flights, uh look for the uh link in the show notes. Thank you, Stefan. And as uh, Rick said, this is all good hearted. We are yeah, uh, we're actually very impressed that very, uh, you very have all these. Stats. Very impressive, and you're such an evil person. Look at all that fuel he burned. Oh, no, terrible, no. terrible person you are. Okay, just kidding, of course. And uh, looking forward to getting that gin, Stefan. And uh, I'll let you know when I do, and I'll let you know what I think. And uh, that, ladies and gentlemen, I believe we'll do perfect, guys. Perfect for today's little segment um with miami rick and anything else to say rick before we go well uh i will miss you guys tomorrow and i hope that uh you have a great time and uh i think it's time for me to go get some uh, barbecue Ooh, that sounds good all right well i guess we'll throw it back to um myself and steph and nick in the studio here we are well, hey. Nick's not here, though. No, Nick left. He went to bed. Slacker. It's getting dark here, too. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really that dark, dark in this room, but no, the I don't know. The light is very... It, the lamps have like a mood lighting thing going on, which I'm not sure. <laughs> hey, babe. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> 
See if I can turn some more. No, light. that didn't even make any difference. <laughs> no, just the the lampshades oh, are I... very like. Oh wait a minute. Yeah, go ahead. Beige. Keep, keep talking. No, the lampshades are beige. They're not like bright, and the light the the light bulbs must be like twenty watt or something. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> don't, don't pay attention to why it's I'm not putting. even dark outside yet but yeah. all it's doing is picking up the light from these these lamps yeah so um, yeah yeah most of the lighting came from the outside yeah. i mean it is much more indirect now and if the sun is going to set in another like 10 minutes but oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey baby <laughs> And I'm not even going to mention what the name of that. I saw that. <laughs> Please don't. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And Steph was going, "What is he? I doing? Just going to roll with that and not ask yeah. questions. Um, it's best not to ask uh-uh. any questions. Anyway, up and wrap it up. Steph has a date with that bartender guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> Steph has a date with the bartender guy, according to Liz. So I need to wrap it up. Okay. Which the waiter oh, guy? Oh, the guy from the other night. Yeah. What's yeah. Going on with the light. What's going on with the light? It's like so. It's not just my imagination. No, that was doing no. Weird the stuff. light did weird things just now. So okay. I, I don't I, think there's only one position of the light switch. So I, I don't know what's going on. Don't know. They're doing that until you give them a credit card. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe that is true. <laughs> um, Liz says that they're adjusting the lighting in my room until I come downstairs and give them a credit card imprint. We haven't paid for the dinner that we ate. No. Yet. But I will. Don't worry. Uh, are we having some kind of brownouts here in Charlotte? Apparently. No. Anyway, um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun uh, doing that segment with uh, Rick. Hope you enjoyed that. And uh, as uh, we mentioned earlier, Nick had to leave us because it was getting kind of late in the UK. And for us now, Liz, I think it's about time to wrap this thing up, isn't it? It is. Okay. It's so. About, uh... 13 minutes past. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's longer than three hours. Sorry about that. Okay. So that means it's time for us to do this. Um, well, we talk about going to our website and uh, checking that out. A lot of information there, but all kinds of different things like the community and the crew information about our, you know, what our background is and that kind of thing. Um, that includes Liz, by the way, she's a big part of our crew. And uh, let's see, Plain Tales, Nick goes in there and puts a bunch of pictures and other uh, additional information regarding the Plain Tales episodes and uh, lots more stuff there. And so again, that's airlinepilotguy.com. So check it out. And uh, we're also on social media. And Steph hey. always hates it when I say social means, but that's I don't hate it. Oh, you don't? Okay. I just, I, I'm wondering what the kids are going to call it next. Oh, I don't know. So it's social media, social media, social media. Kids. I don't know what the kids so are. So me. SM. So, that's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> we can't abbreviate it that far. Use your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if you would like to catch us on the social meds or social medias, you can head to Twitter. We are at APG Crew. You can find our individual <laughs> Twitter information pinned to the top of that page you can also head over to instagram we're also apg crew on instagram if facebook's more your thing facebook.com slash airline pilot guy uh, community is 
on all three of those sites and hanging out and really fun to interact with. So we hope to see you there. If you want to take a deeper dive, I suggest Slack. And Hillel will tell us about that momentarily. Yes, you will. Now, I don't know. We've been using the bathroom. And have you seen Hillel? Let's see. I have a microphone. Um, don't ask me why. Well, I think we... Let me see if... Um... Jeff, this is my private time. Oh. Would you let me finish a poo for once? Sorry. I guess we'll have to... <laughs> Weird that he left the door open. Yeah, he did. Um, okay. Well, when you, when you get a chance, would you come over here and tell us about Slack? I'll tell you what. Can you do it from in there? Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics, we plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel. Sorry, Jeff. I might have used all your skin lotion. I hate it when he does that. <sighs> wow. I guess I'm going to have to call downstairs and have him bring up some more skin lotion. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Well, thanks, Hillel. And also, we'd like to uh, say thank you so much to our producer, director, Liz Piper in Toronto, Ontario. Canada. <laughs> I keep wanting to say California. Uh, she does so much stuff behind the scenes and helps during uh, every day of the week between the shows. Thank you, Liz. I mean, I couldn't do it without you. I'm really kidding. You're welcome. Yay. All right. And with that, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Talents, Douglas. Cheers, y'all. Yeah, he's up in the sky. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall oh, I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly 